everybody goes to bed. Yeah, I'd, I'd best do that. <clears throat> can we start now? We can start now. Oh, okay. Are we gonna are we gonna have to listen to to snakes? No, she's going to bed. Good. Very glad. <clears throat> is this actually hot chocolate or is it milkshake? It's milkshake. It tastes like milkshake, but I'm your mum says hot chocolate. Is it hot? Then it's not hot chocolate. <laughs> That would seem to be one of the key elements of hot chocolate. Touche bag. <laughs> that it's hot. Okay, hot chocolate powder. Right. But even then, what would it be? Room temperature powder. <laughs> Room temperature powder. <laughs> oh dear God. You're bringing us in this week, aren't you? Uh, I am. Okay, okay. File A56-7W, classified top secret subject is... Hey kids, comics! Comic books. An art form early alive. We can rebuild them. We have the technology. With digital downloads and bookstore penetration, which sounds a bit rude, we can make them better than they were before. Better. Stronger. Welcome to Hey Kids Comics, bringing you great comics, comics that aren't as great, and comics that really aren't great at all. We've never done nothing. That's terrible grammar. We've never done anything that wasn't great at all. True. We've never done anything that was. We make utter, everything great. Utter tripe. Maybe we should do Rob Liffield. We're going to do Hell, something let's do in Lip- two weeks' time that I don't think is great. What are we doing in two weeks' time? That would give it away. Yeah, but I don't know what we're doing. You do know I can cut it out. Oh, right. <laughs> that's what we're doing. Obviously. But that's for an all-new season. Yeah, yeah, okay. We've got a season finale Maybe, maybe we yet. should do Rob Liffield's tweets. <laughs> <laughs> an entire show about Rob Liffield's tweets. Yeah. It'd probably be more entertaining than his comics. <laughs> it is, actually. You never but know. You feel really bad for those people he's insulting. Even if you don't know the people that he's insulted. They're not slight digs, they're full-on insults. Yeah, yeah, he, he really never learned the, the lesson if you don't have anything nice to say. He should just go back to modelling Levi's jeans. I don't think he needs to, he's rich enough, isn't he? What is that? Anyway, go on, carry on with your introduction, I interrupted. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. I should all be aware by now, we're currently undergoing our spotlight season, and tonight, or this morning, or this afternoon, we bring you the very final episode of Spotlight On, which, unluckily for several listeners falls on Brian Michael Bendis. First up, though, emails. I hope it doesn't, because they're not the comics I've read. No, I've... I've... Oh, are you, are, you, are, you, yeah. are you doing a diversionary tactic? Yeah, they think I'm... Are you one. leading them down one road? They think I'm going to zig, but I actually zig, and they're expecting me to zag and... From the planet Zog? Yeah. Zig and zag. Do you remember zig and zag? No. No. Did Why what, do you not did, remember zig and zag? one way and the other. No, zig and zag were the two aliens from the planet Zog on The Big Breakfast. But don't phone. It's just for fun. I don't remember that. I don't remember. I don't remember breakfast. when the Big Breakfast stopped. You may have only been little. When the I big remember there being stopped. a breakfast show when I was little. Do Chris Evans and Gabby Roslin. No. Nope. And then Denise Van Outen and um, this other bloke. No. Nope. Who? 
Johnny Vaughan. Yep. Thanks, love. And Thingyo did it for a bit as well. Jonathan Ross's brother. And the guy from Neighbours. And, uh, he did it for a bit. Who? With the... With the big tits, apparently. Yeah. Kelly Brook. Kelly Brook, Kelly Brook, yes! She got you up in the morning. <laughs> More worse than one. <laughs> and if you've seen Piranha 3D, you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, you're, you're, bringing, you're carrying well, on. Well, we've or, seen Piranha 2D. We've got it in 3D, if you want to watch it in 3D. If you want to watch Kelly Brook swimming nude in 3D. I don't think I want to watch the film again. Well, I know, it was fun, Piranha 3D. Okay. I quite liked Piranha 3D. I like that bit, especially. <laughs> Anyway, carry on. We're not a Piranha podcast. We're on email. Oh, yes. We're we're going to... Oh, but first up, I want to plug a podcast that I listened to this week. Okay. It was excellent. Was it? I've listened to a number of them. Okay. It is by the Mr. Jim Moon. You you liked these as well, didn't you? He's very funny, isn't he? Very dry. He's... uh, And he hosts Hypnobobs. Okay. And Michael Baylor recommended it on Facebook. And he's been doing a multi-part history of Batman. Right. Which has been very, very, very good. Yeah, and this week, good Batman or confusing? Oh, Batman from ah, the very okay. beginning. He's done the thirties, the forties, the fifties, the sixties TV show. The most recent one I listened to, he covered the nineties movies. Right. So after the first Tim Burton one, so Batman Returns, Batman and Robin, and Batman Forever. So is it like decades? Yeah, well, pretty much. Yeah, I'm hoping he's going to do an entire show on the animated series. Okay. Uh, uh, particular Mask of the Phantasm. Yes. Which is my favourite Batman movie. Okay. Followed by Batman Beyond: Return of the Joker. Okay. So my two favourite Batman movies are animated movies. Mm-hmm. But this week so he released the Batman films crap. That's true. Uh, it's on Earth2.net and right. this week he did the complete history of Judge Dredd. Which was so good because I'm sat I'm doing I'm doing the Wii yeah. cardio workout listening to it, so your mum was listening to it as well. And your mum's actually sat there chuckling. So you know something's good when it's talking about comics and your mum's laughing at it. Yeah. And all the way through it, I'm doing my exercise, and he's going, and there was this strip hook jaw. I remember that. And Mach 1, I remember that. And everyone he's listing off, I remember that, I remember that. Yeah. So I've been reading 2000 AD from the beginning. Right. My God, some of that's good stuff. The, the one where they, they, they go in the time machine and hunt Flesh. dinosaurs to eat. Yeah, yeah. where um, meat, all animals have become extinct in the 23rd yeah. century. So they go back but we've invented time travel. Yeah. So they go back in time to get dinosaurs so that we've got meat to eat. And people are getting ripped in half, <laughs> left, right and centre. My favourite one is Invasion, in which a, yeah. a thinly veiled Russian task force called the Volgans Where is that with the take over the Europe. Ones, yeah. And any strip that begins with ex-Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher getting gunned down on the steps of 10 Downing Street. She's not called Margaret Thatcher, no. obviously. But it, that can't be all bad. No. But some I think of I only stuff, read the first two issues. We need to do a show on the early 2000 ADs. Yeah. I think, like, the first five or six issues. Because thanks to Jim, Mr. Moon, mm. I'll, be, I'll give him his full name, I've, been, I've gone back and reread them, and they are awesome. I didn't care much for the game one. No, that's my least favourite. Harlem Heroes. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of that one either. That's kind of like, a bit like Rollerball. Yeah. But yeah, no, I'm not a fan Some of that people one. People die. I'm loving Inversion. I'm loving Flesh. I'm not too hot on Dan Durr. No, me neither. Well, the thing with Dan yeah, Durr... Yeah, Dan Durr seems to be everyone's favourite. Well, see, the thing with Dan Durr is everyone... He's the squeaky clean pilot of the future and he was great in the 50s. Yeah. But the thing with Dan Durr is he's got the loyal hardcore fans that if you darken him up, they're not interested anymore. Right. But he's not interesting enough to a completely different fan base. He's like Superman. Yeah. You darken him up, people don't care anyway, and you just annoy the loyal fan base. Mm. So it's it's an odd one, that. 
But Invasion and, and Flesh are brilliant. And I've just I just read the first couple of Judge Dredd strips. Yeah. Which are quite weird, the early ones. He's very thin. Quite yeah. skinny, isn't he? Now the early old. ones. Yeah. Well, he's 70 old now. So I urge you to go to earth2.net and check out Hypnobobs. It's well worth listening to. Very funny. You know, speaking of mum chuckling along, it's not been too hard to impress mum with things recently. Why? She, well, she's, she's married me. Well, she, she's starting to get <laughs> engrossed in the games I'm playing and sat along going, oh, why, why is that happening? Oh, I remember. Is this Metal Gear Solid? Yeah. I've not seen any of this. Well, I've been playing Driver San Francisco. I've played Metal Gear Solid 3 and she sat there and to the end of it she's following the story and then she's stuck to see the end and then stuck to see the ending after the credits. Oh, dear me. Anyway, um, emails. We've got emails. We've got very few emails. It has to be said. We've only got the one. It's from Aidan Mohan. Hey, Lay. Screw the pleasantries. But that's just not very nice, is it? really. Let's prioritise. Peter David, Comicdom's most talented writer. When Cometh the Commuter is the funniest Spider-Man story in my book. David gets Spider-Man like so few writers do. There's a lot to get to Spider-Man. There are a lot of facets to the character. David gets it all. Damn, I love this guy. He's not my favourite writer, but I can recognise on an intellectual level that he is the best. Anyway, just had to gush a bit. Aiden M. Mohan. P.S. I met David at a con once. I told him I love his Hulk run. He squinted, pointed at me and said, I wrote that before you were born. He'd probably say that to you as well, haven't we? Probably. I've not read his Hulk run, though. He's, he's going to London Super Comic Con, Peter David. Okay. And I'm very tempted to go. Because George Perez is going as well. So do I have to read all of his Hulk runs just to say that to him? No, no, no. We'll just get... I was thinking of getting the Death of Gene DeWolf hardcover autographed if we go. You're not getting your other one. Uh, or you're not reading it. There's another one from Aiden that's nothing to do with comics. He just no. asked what are our top five favourite Smith songs. Uh, London. I went to London and I... That's half a person. Half a person, thank you. Not London. London's a completely different Put myself song. in... Yeah, but you can see why I was confused. Uh, Girlfriend in a Coma. Which is such a jaunty tune. It is. It's such a miserable lyric. Mm. Um, like every other Smith song. Like every, I find the Smiths hysterical. Yes. I never got people who said, so miserable. I used to piss myself laughing at the Smiths. I did, I did do that on the way home the other day when it's a song on the back end of Strange Ways and he's just going on about the music industry. Oh, paint a vulgar picture. Yeah. Uh, repackage, reissue, repackage yeah. on the hands of Dead Star. I found that that really good after the death of Freddie Mercury. Yeah. Because everything he says in that song is what they did after Freddie Mercury died. Yeah. I love the Smiths. Talking Heads and the Smiths are my favourite bands in high school. That's only two songs though, isn't it? Girlfriend in a Coma, Half a Person. Um, Unhappy Birthday is hysterically funny. Yeah. Which you you put in last week's show. Well done. I approve wholeheartedly of that. Um, There's a light that never goes out. There is a light that never goes out. And... No, I don't. I like the I like that Vicar in a tutu. I also like him. He's not strange. Last he just likes night. to live his life. Last, Last night, night I dreamt somebody loved me. Just to like the open two minutes where it's just a zombie film. Well, it's just a zombie film. Yeah. Um, oh, there's just too many. I can't name five. I like all the Strangers albums. I like Strangers Here We Come. That's my favourite album. Is it? Yeah. See, I like, I like Meet His Murder, even though I can't stand the title track. Because Meet His Murder's not, is it? Death for not no necessarily. Reason is murder. Death for no reason. <laughs> death for no reason and murder. No, it's not really though, is it? Mm. Uh, so, what are yours? I don't know. I've only got two. Of there them. is a light that never goes out. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure. You'd have to ponder on that. I will have to but we're not a Smiths podcast. But we're being quite rambly tonight. Mm. So, moving swiftly on from our distinct lack of emails. Mm. Shocking lack. Shocking. Of Money, Penny. We need to get the first pick 
from today. Oh, my God. Michael's got two absolutes <laughs> for this week's show. I damn near gave myself a hernia. But the first one's not an absolute. Well, those two. Ow! I just trapped my finger under them. I'll wait until I get my uh, omnibus. Yeah. Uh, are they in the right order now? So I don't have to do that again. That. And then that. What are you doing? That. Is the bottom one first? The bottom one is next. Yeah. And right. then it's that, and then it's that one, and then right. it's the middle well, one. We'll worry. We can always cut stuff out. Yeah. Take it away! The 40% of you decided to stay will be pleased, <laughs> or maybe even disappointed, who knows? That we will not be covering Bendis tonight, rather Alex Ross. I wonder how many Bendis comics we could do in an average show. But eight. How many is he written? Oh god, millions. We can do all of them. He churns out a script on the bog in the morning, doesn't he? <laughs> Probably. Well, when Kevin Smith's checking his emails and putting up <laughs> writing scripts. Bendis is writing, Bendis is writing a script while he's on the <laughs> toilet. Oh, he's curled one out. Oh, right. Hawkeye says, but, uh. And then the wasp says, um, er. And then Spider-Man comes in and makes a witty comment about being 40. And then I turned another one out. <laughs> Cut to Daredevil on toilet. <laughs> Carry on. Uh, Ross was born in Oregon, but raised in Texas. His father was a minister and his mother was an artist. Both would have their effects on Ross's life and career. After graduating from an American Academy of Arts in Chicago, Ross got his first job as a storyboard artist at an advertisement agency. In 1990, Ross completed his first series, the five-issue miniseries Terminator The Burning Earth by Ron Fortier and published by Now Comics. In 93, Ross completed his first superhero assignment, the cover for the Superman Doomsday and Beyond Children's novel. Which is very good. Is I it? like that cover, yeah. Okay. During this time, Ross and Kurt Busiek pitched a Marvel story that would retell the origin of the Marvel Universe from one man's perspective and would feature fully painted interior art. In 1994, Marvels was published. Issue 4 of Marvels was written by Kurt Busiek without by Alex Ross, lettered by Richard Starkings and edited by Marcus McLaurin. The day she died is a cover date of April 1994, and has a cover of the Green Goblin holding Gwen Stacy in the reflection of Spider-Man's eyepiece. It also has one of those flimsy plastic sheets over the actual cover, and is see-through except for the outline that drops down at the top and forms the outline for Marvels. Um, except we're looking at the hardcover. Yeah, you got rid of all the single issues. I did get rid of all the single issues because they were selling for, like, a crap ton of money. I liked those covers, though. Uh, so did I. You, I thought you didn't like those covers. Did I not? I'm not sure. I'll take your word for it. They were irritating to package. Yeah. To be honest. Why did they kept sticking to it? Yeah. yeah. And they, they had kind of that electricity effect when you peeled them off. Mm. Which was always a bit weird, wasn't it? In many ways. We've got this in the hardcover. Is this a premier hardcover? Yeah. Which got Spider-Man on the cover. Quite a good Spider-Man. It's not the 10th anniversary. Um, I like that cover. I like the Green Goblin of Gwen Stacy reflecting Spider-Man's eyes. And he's got his hand round her neck. I'm not too sure about how he draws the Green Goblin, because it doesn't look like a mask, does it? Although when the Green Goblin puts his mask on in the comics, it doesn't look like a mask. But that very definitely just looks like face paint. Well, how else are you going to explain the moving mouth and the eyes and all? Magic, dude. Die. <laughs> comic not... book pseudoscience. Yes, comic book pseudoscience. Right. I can totally buy that. Yeah, I okay. can. Uh... Phil Sheldon is currently at a book signing for his uh, photography book, Marvels, that contains all of Phil's published superhero photos from his journalism career. His publisher wants a sequel, and Phil knows that all of the praise for the book is not what it seems. The Avengers are currently in space fighting a war between two alien races, and their lives could be at stake. 
After everything society has done to the superhero community, they still fight a war in order to protect the Earth. And so, as a means of apologising, the people buys Phil's book and say nothing to each other. The Avengers did come back, however, but as soon as they did, the people just forgot about it and went back to outing the superheroes as menaces. Phil takes his new assistant, Marcia Hardister, to his work, a small diner that uses Phil's superhero photography as its selling point. He tells them he's getting old and needs a new assistant, but what he doesn't tell them is that he's turning into a bitter old man and doesn't know how to stop. He witnesses the Black Widow's trial for murdering the Scorpion. As it would turn out, he wasn't even dead anyway, but society still wanted her to hang. He hears the opinions of the kids from Harlem about Harlem's very own super team, but none of it's positive. He sees J. Jonah Jameson demanding that a reminder of Captain Stacy's death at the hands of Spider-Man be put on the front page. The Sheldons decided to take a holiday with the last straw came to fill. As he was out fishing, his wife rushed to him and told him that Galactus has come to Earth again, but the FF drove him away. She also tells him that Reed spoke into everyone's mind and told him that they were safe again and hands him a newspaper of the FF being evicted from the Baxter building. <laughs> Which was hysterical. <laughs> the FF getting kicked out of the Baxter building. <laughs> I'm sure they didn't find it hysterical. <laughs> they didn't find it funny. We just saved the Earth now. Get out! I thought they got kicked out before the Galactic Oh, they've been threatened of being kicked out of the Baxter building numerous times before Reed Richards just bought the building. Did it? Is that when they curved the top of it to an F to a four? No, that was when they rebuilt the building after Doctor Doom destroyed the Baxter building, but it wasn't Doctor Doom, it was Kristoff. Right, okay. Carry on! Sorry for interrupting. Phil heads to the Daily Bugle offices and tells people his opinions, but nobody agrees with him. Before he leaves the Bugle, Spider-Man crawls up the outside of a window and everyone watches him, calling him a menace and a murderer. And that's when Phil realises what he has to do. Clay Spider with the murder of George Stacey. Robbie gives Phil an assignment to check out someone called a hero for hire working in Times Square. Unable to get his mind off his quest, Phil cuts his interview with Luke Cage short in order to check out local witness to Stacey's death. The witness tells her story. Spider-Man was fighting Dr. Octopus and didn't want any witnesses, so he threw a chimney at the crowd and Stacey leapt to save a small boy. Seeing that Stacey was dead, Spider-Man ran off with the body. Phil then heads to the NYPD. He told them that they know Spider-Man didn't kill Stacey. The tuna was toppled by something hard and metallic. They only want Spider-Man for a statement. At home, the TV is interrupted by news of unknown flying objects flying towards Earth from the sun in an organised formation. As everyone panics, Phil gets up to leave. Why panic? The Avengers or the FF will save the world and people will just poke them in the eye for their efforts. He questions more witnesses and asks Jameson why he accused Spider-Man of being a menace when he acts, but a coward when he doesn't. The conversation is cut off after Jameson talks about the normal guy never being able to live up to the standards of the superpowered. At a party at the Globe, the editor pulls Phil and Marcia up and tells Phil that Thunder has challenged the thing to a title match and wants Phil to be there to take photos. If he does, then he could have his own column in the Globe three times a week on his thoughts on the Marvels with his pictures. Phil thinks on it, and thinks of it as a good idea, as he could use it to counter Jameson. After trying to get a face-to-face -face with Dr. Octopus, he gets the opportunity. Not for a column and not for a new book, just to talk to him. Octopus tells him nothing, neither confirming nor denying anything. Phil leaves as he knows Octopus will never confess, but wanted Phil to know that he had the skill to frame Spider-Man. He had no one else to talk to, other than Gwen Stacy. After the third visit, the two talk about the day George died. She says that at first she hated Spider-Man, but now she's not sure. The two walk down the street and they continue to talk. She doesn't believe Spider-Man did it, not anymore. She says that George was the supporter of Spider-Man and constantly argued with Jameson. A crowd pushes past them and they walk into an army of walking lobster robots and flying fish crafts. 
Namor had invaded the Sith to reclaim a captured Atlantean from the UN. No one was hurt during this invasion. Phil looks down from the craft to see Gwen standing in the light in the salt water, looking at the machines in awe. And that's when everything fits into place for Phil. He saw his mistake. The Marvels weren't here to win approval of the petty and the small-minded. They were here to save the innocent, to save people like Gwen. The two walk amongst the machines, and Phil spots Namor flying overhead. He remembers seeing him at the beginning, and how the people were so scared that they lashed out and labelled him a villain. And so Phil got a new idea for a book. A real book, not another picture book. A book on the Marvels and what they should mean to people. It was the book he'd been learning to write his entire life without knowing it. A book that would clear Spider-Man and would absolve him by the daughter of the man he was said to have killed. Everything would work. He waits outside her apartment and as she said she'd look for her father's journals and would either be at her apartment or her boyfriend's, Phil heads to Parker's apartment. As he reaches it, he sees the Green Goblin carry her unconscious body out the window. He races for a taxi and tells the driver to follow the glider. The taxi reaches as far as it can go, and he gets out and follows the glider to the Brooklyn Bridge. He watches Spider-Man appear and doesn't call the police, for he has faith that he'd save her. That's what he did. Phil stood with his finger on the shutter release, ready to take a photo of the triumphant moment, until the Green Goblin threw her body off and Spider-Man went to rescue her but failed. The rest was just a blur for Phil. When the globe covered it, Phil was enraged. Gwen's death was buried in an article about the death of Norman Osborn. He, stu he stands at the bottom of the bridge and listens for an echo of the crack. He had read that the impact of the fall killed her, but to Phil, it looked like. It didn't matter what it looked like, she was still dead. Marcia goes through Phil's photos for, for the book, but no one cares about Gwen's death, not like Phil does. The world just keeps on going, and that's when he realised he has started his career on the outside, looking in on the world, seeing everything and understanding what it meant. But now he too was on the inside, and now he was enabled to see things clearer. He gives the camera to Marcia and tells her to make her documentary about the Marvels. Her first assignment, however, is the retirement of Phil Sheldon. And she takes a photo of Phil, his wife Doris, and Danny Ketch. A nice, normal, ordinary boy. <laughs> yeah, right. Danny Ketch will turn out to be Ghost Rider. Yeah. Is that why they make a big deal out of being a nice, nice normal yeah. little boy? There are no nice, normal little boys in the Marvel Universe. Um, page one, the cover to Sh Sheldon's book, Marvels, is a low-angle shot of a giant man walking, uh, which was one of his first photos. And was used as the front cover of the first trade paperback. Was it? Yeah, if you have a look in the back of this, in the supplementary materials. Uh, there you go. Oh, yeah. So it's him taking that photo, isn't it? Yeah. Which I thought was quite nice. Mm -hmm. So you get the other angle on that particular photo, which was great. I like that the splash page is quite low-key. Uh, I've noticed that they've missed the apostrophe out of didn't. I don't know why I noticed that. <laughs> Did this, does this book not have an editor? Apparently not. Whose job it should have been to do that. Mm. I'd buy a book of Phil Sheldon's photos. Yeah. Wouldn't you? Be a nice little coffee table thing. Just be loads of Alex Ross art, which would be pretty cool. Yeah, it probably will. Is it not this mythology book? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Except that's DC Comics. It is. He's never done one for Marvel, has he? They've done Dynamite and DC. He's Two DC ones, even. Other than Marvel, Marvel's this, has he done a lot of work for Marvel? Just covers and promotional art. Yeah. He worked on the first Sam Raimi Spider-Man movie, redesigning the suit. Yeah. It looked crap. It did. Um, pages 2 and 3 covers the Kree Skull War which happened in Avengers 92 to 97. Which I've still not read, despite picking this trade up in Florida for $5. Spoiler alert, Rick Jones saves everyone. 
Rick Jones. Rick Jones. Bendy's not killed Rick Jones yet. Not really. Not really. No. <laughs> what he has done, but then he came back. No, everyone just forgot about him. Uh, the two-page splash of the Kree Scroll War is actually really good. One of the things I've, I do, I'm lukewarm about with Alex Ross. Yeah. Is his desire to make everything look ultra realistic, and it's something that bugs me more in his DC work, which we'll come to as we get there later on. In this. He's not quite evolved to be the Alex Ross that you know at this point, has he? No. He's still quite rough around the edges, which is not to say it's not still quite good, because mm. it is. But certainly in, in the case of people like Thor's uniform, doesn't look right rendered ultra-realistically, does it? No. There's something about that that looks a bit off. Probably why they changed it for the movie. Yeah, possibly. Hmm. Uh, page four, the face of a murderer advert for the Daily Bugle is a reference to Amazing Spider-Man 90, the death of Captain Stacy. It is indeed. Which and, is oh, what this issue is about. Yeah, pretty much, the death of the Stacy. And he's walking past the Baxter building. Yeah. Uh, I liked that this was a period piece. If you have a look at that first shot there on that page where they're walking past the Baxter building, everyone's got long hair and wide lapels. Yeah. And uh, flared trousers on. They all look like they've just walked out of an episode of Starsky and Hutch. Well... Every issue, like set in a different decade. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't know about a different decade because I didn't but read all of this. There was a time difference. Yeah, the issue. it's it's set in real time, roughly approximating when the actual stories took place. Yeah, um, it's set in 1920, didn't it? Around them. with Phineas. Okay, maybe not 1920. Is it Phineas Horton who created the torch? Yeah, because issue zero was about the torch. Yeah, and then one was about the invaders in World War Two. And then Reed and Sue got married in issue two. Or three. And then the Galactus, about Galactus. Galactus Invasion was issue three. Yeah. So, yeah, because Gwen Stacy died in 1972. So this would be the 70s. So we're into the 70s now, yeah, with the death of George Stacy. And you can tell as well, they're all dressed like Jack McGee yeah. from The Incredible Hulk with those truly awful tartan esque jacket suit jackets on. Hmm. And nothing matches. I love his uh, his Black Widow. Yeah, that really does look like Natasha Romanoff. Although if you look at it, well, not knowing who it is, it could be Mary Jane. No, her face is too. Her face isn't soft enough for be Mary Jane. Okay. I, I didn't, even without the dialogue captions, I'd recognise that as Black Widow. Fair enough. Who does he base the picture of Black Widow on? I've no idea. Because some of it is based on his mates, isn't it? Yeah. Right. Um. At page five, the Black Widow's trial was covered in Daredevil 83. Is that when it started being Daredevil and Black Widow? Probably. When Daredevil and Black Widow, Matt and Natasha, started getting it on. All right, Elektra's dead, so he moves on to Black Widow. Elektra didn't exist then. Did she, oh, was no, Elektra was a retcon. Right. Okay. He met Elektra in college, but that story was only written after the Daredevil Black Widow stuff. Right. He must have a thing for redheads. Yeah. Is Elektra a redhead? Or dead people. Not. <laughs> Bit of necrophilia, Dave. <laughs> no, she's blacker. Does she? Or brown. Unless she's Jennifer Garner. Or unless she's dead. Yeah. Which, how many times has Electra died now? Hey, I've died twice. More times than that. Uh, page six, four wounded and stark right is from Iron Man 40, 45 to 46. The Falcon situation is covered in Captain America 151. And how Spider-Man killed George Stacy again was Spider-Man. Amazing, 90. Yeah, what's the, the Harlem people's problem with Luke Cage? Oh no, it's the, it's Falcon, the Falcon, isn't it, yeah. not Luke Cage. Luke Cage still hangs around in Harlem, doesn't he, if I remember my Luke Cage comics. Yeah. Do you know, Luke Cage would still make a great TV show. Get on that, Marvel! Yeah. I want a Luke Cage TV show. 
Oh, that'd be awesome. To see there's a part of me that would love to do a Luke Cage TV show in the 70s. Yeah. That would be awesome. Like a superhero shaft. (laughs) That'd be brilliant. At least I think it would. Your mileage may vary. If you set it like an 80s TV show. But set it in 1975. A-Team and Knight Rider. Yeah, you do it in 1975. Everyone with big lapels on and driving around in big cars. That'd be awesome. Uh, page 7 Galaxy's second appearance in New York was covered in Fantastic Four 120 and 123 mm-hmm. and the article Landlord wants the Fantastic Four uh, O-U-T is from uh, 120 I don't like his Reed Richards he looks like he's wearing a bad tooper yeah doesn't he so we're, we're into the post Jack Kirby era of the Fantastic Four, four then because it's the second Galaxy appearance yeah well hmm, is it Yes. Has he only appeared once before this in Fantastic Four 50? Well, just before 50, wasn't it? Yeah, because even in 50 this, was this man, this monster. The first appearance is issue 3. Yeah. And she says in this, he's appeared again. Right. So it's quite a big gap between issues. Yeah. Right, okay, fair enough. You know, looking at that, do you know what his Spider-Man reminds me of? Hmm? The 70s Spider-Man. I've got that exact same note. Oh, yeah? It looks like he's just copied Nicholas Hammond's costume from the 70s TV show, doesn't it? Uh, that's particularly notable on the sketch section in the back of this premiere hardcover which is stills from the TV show Okay. if you actually go onto the internet and research the 70s TV show and look at images pictures will come it looks like he's just copied things he's copied the stills yeah Yeah. that's what he's done Uh, page 10 Cage is talking uh, Cage taking out the dope dealers was covered in Hero for High One and having Fox check it out was an issue for was it? yes Luke Cage is quite funny in this. I also like how he's he's plainly about six foot tall compared to the little tiny Marsha. Yeah. He only looks about three foot nothing. That chain around him still doesn't look realistic. What, the one around his head? Another one around, like a belt. Oh, yeah, his big belt buckle thing. Mm. See, I don't know... How does he put that chain on and off? And nothing I've ever read and watched from the 70s, which is still my favourite era for movies and stuff. Yeah. I don't think I've never seen anyone dress like Luke Cage dresses. No. Even in the 70s, which is quite eclectic yeah. in terms of fashion. I don't think nobody ever dressed it like that. Dressed it? Dressed is that it. a word? Uh, is that even a proper word? According to Anya. According to our daughter. Hey, look, it's a My daughter, not your daughter. Your sister. Yes. That would be silly. Yes. Yes. At page 13, mm-hmm. the newspaper article Hulk in New York was in Marvel Featured 2. Oh, you've skipped two of my favourite pages here. Dava. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The two pages detailing the death of George Stacer, which are all Spider-Man. Yeah. All of the time. I like the red of it. I was just going to say the blood red colouring on those two pages is pretty awesome. George Stacy doesn't look like any George Stacy I remember, but given that you only see half of his face before he's crushed under all the rubble... Didn't he? Saved someone from a bomb. No, no, he saved a Doctor Octopus's arms lash out wildly at Spider Man. Yeah. They knock over a chimney. Right. So he died of a bomb in Ultimate Spider Man. Yeah. Whereas in real regular comics continuity, the bricks fell off. George Stacy shoves the kid out the way. Continuity. And is crushed underneath the bricks. Right. Which is exactly the same way that Jurella died in Incredible Hulk comics. Okay. Exactly the same. So who copied who? Uh, well, seeing as Jurella died after George Stacey. Yeah, right. I don't know that any copying went on. Hmm. Could have just been one of those coincidences that happened in comics. Yeah. Uh, the thing with Marvels is um, 
this made a huge impact when it was first released. Because of the interior. Yeah, because it, it was it the first fully painted series? Well, I think there may have been fully painted covers before that. It would have been like the mainstream one, because he did terminate it before this. Yeah. So it's the first fully painted mainstream Marvel or DC book. Hmm. And it was given, like you said, the covers were different to anything you've ever seen before. Yeah. So the cover copy was on the acetate cover. So that you could turn that over and actually it look at the art, painting, yeah. unadorned by cover copy. Was didn't Marvel only give the green light for this because it, the fully interior art sold it to them? Was it? I'm pretty sure. I don't know. I I do remember I picked this up off the shelves, all four issues. Of this because it was, it did blow you away. It was really well done, and the really impressive thing about it as well is the story. Mm backs up the art the story is in this is every bit as good as the art yeah Kurt Busiek and Alex Ross never worked together again uh, I don't think so because the sequel Marvel's Eye of the Camera yeah. Alex Ross didn't do that he didn't even do the covers yeah but Kurt Busiek wrote it so I don't know maybe they've had a falling out maybe or he had a falling out with Marvel because he's done very little work for Marvel since he's yeah. done the omnibus covers hasn't he he does reimaginings yeah. of... He just covers them promotional. That he's already done. Yeah. Right, okay. Yeah, so he's never really gone back and done anything at Marvel. Um, the album covers, in the middle of this issue, where the, the Sheldon family are lounging around. There's a Mark Boland one. I think that may be the small faces, but I could be wrong. There's Paul McCartney and Wings Ram. And there's Ziggy Stardust. Okay. Which and I thought spiders was from Mars. And the spiders. Yeah, well, you can do a better David Bowie than me. David Bowie. <laughs> <laughs> and he's dancing in the street the gayest video ever made that actually, wasn't made by Right Said Fred I actually like that song I like dancing in the street I think uh, Bowie and Mick Jagger do a great job with it but my god that's a yeah that's a, a, a very friendly video <laughs> <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with that well no we heartily approve he did have a thing when that video was being filmed though did they? Oh, yeah. What, Bowie and Jagger? Yeah. I mean, I know Bowie's always claimed to be bisexual yes. or androgynous or one of the two. But they, they have confirmed that they had a little thing going on when they recorded What, Jagger's that. little thing or Bowie's little thing? <laughs> well, from Labyrinth, there isn't a little thing, though. Did Bowie's good in Labyrinth. Yeah, but he's got the tightest pants and the bulgiest crotch. Not a man. I don't, I don't want to know, to be honest with you. I've seen enough of that this week. Have you? When I was reading The Longbow Hunters. Bulgy tight pants, David not, Bowie. Ju- not just the bulgy pants, no. Ollie, Oliver Queen decides to jump out of the bath wearing no pants. Oh, uh, he gets his arrow out. Yeah, I was delighted. <laughs> okay, then. In that way that I wasn't. <laughs> it's like when you watch Spartacus, isn't yeah. it? And there's like you've the, got to take the hot with the Yeah, you've, you've got to take the fact that there are guys wandering around with the little things dangling <laughs> between the legs fully frontal on screen because you know at any minute a Lithia's going to walk in naked okay. or Lucy Lawless is going to take her clothes off. See, it swings around about, isn't it? It's, there's certainly swinging going on. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of swinging going on. It's the Romans. <laughs> um, Phil Sheldon goes over to the Daily Bugle to meet up with Barney Bushkin. Yeah. Do you not know Barney Bushkin? No. Barney Bushkin was the, the creepy-looking guy. Yes, he was the editor of the Daily Globe. Yeah. Is that right? And Peter Parker would frequently freelance that because they paid him better than Jonah did. Yeah. Ultimately, the Daily Globe would be shut down when the owner, K.C. Carlson, would turn out to be not a pretty young woman, but an old woman who hired the pretty young woman to pretend to be her because she didn't want anyone to know she was old. And they get shut down. Senses made. Mm. And I don't think we've seen Barney Bushkin since. Okay. Wait, so they got closed down because an old woman was running it? Yeah. 
there was something there was more to it than that I was going to say that's there was you know. yeah because he was on staff at the Daily Globe at that point he'd stopped working for the Daily Bugle because he just had enough of Jonah fair enough so yes that was all very exciting uh, it was quite nice to see Barney Bushkin hey look it's Bruce Willis because he seems to have been uh, forgotten do you, uh, reckon, do you reckon Bruce Willis could probably play Phil Sheldon in a movie version yeah he probably could yeah Joey Pants would be better but he's already played Ben Urich, hasn't he? Has he? Yeah, in the Daredevil film. Yeah. At the party, I presume there are lots of famous people here that we don't recognise. Yeah. But Clark, Lois and Jimmy are there. Yeah. Which See, I thought... he looks like what's-his-face. Who? Making medicine look sick, ill, bad. Who? Him. Yeah. He looks like Cat. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't he? From Blood Red Dwarf. Yeah. Ow! I'm going to eat you little fishies! Yeah. I forgot what we answered. Right. Um, we need to get to the, the meat of the story. Which is Gwen Stacy. Which is the Gwen Stacy stuff, yeah. What is it about Gwen Stacy that makes middle-aged men instantly fall in love with her? Because Professor Warren did it. Yeah. Common <laughs> Osborn did it. Makes me choke just saying it. Yeah. Uh, and now Phil Sheldon. Well, Norman Osborne did more than it. Uh, well, we, we can only count Norman Osborne if we accept that POS since past ever happened, which we don't. Yeah. So moving on. But if we did, mm. wouldn't Gwen be pregnant right about here? Yes. So isn't that another nail in that particular coffin? Wouldn't it? She also have been pregnant when it was actually released, you know, originally written. Uh, if if we are following that since past ever happened, yes. which it didn't. We're not. So, <laughs> we're just heavily in denial with regards to that awful, awful piece of trash. Yeah. Aren't we? yeah. Apart from that, the rest of the run's pretty decent. Until you get to Civil War. Yeah, some of it's trash. It's good up until you get to since past and Civil War. So it's good up until John Romita Jr. leaves? Well, even some Magda Udato stuff's decent. But really? the Civil War stuff is really, truly awful. Awful. <laughs> See, I've reread some of that because I've yeah. been buying them because mm. I was missing a couple of issues. That five-issue Kingpin art, while it is nice to see Peter Parker kick the crap out of the Kingpin, the black and black one. Yeah, yeah. That is some of the fastest reading five issues ever. Well, I I read all five issues that in about twenty minutes. I really liked. Black and Black when it first came out and I first read it but I've been reading all the Bendis' stuff and mm. I had to read Civil War so I read all the Civil War stuff we had you know, Civil War and Spider-Man together, they're tying into each other not only did they not tie into each other very well, but reading Civil War and Spider-Man was the worst <laughs> time for Marvel ever because everything was so dull and boring and bleak that was Matt Miller dude Spider-Man as well Shuzinski and Mill must have been the two most boring writers at that time. Have you never read F and Spider-Man? Was that the... The Peter David one? I don't know. He actually did some interesting stuff with it. Okay. Because he had Deborah Whitman come back and yeah. write a tell-all book about Peter Parker. Yeah. About how he tricked her because she didn't know he was Spider-Man. Yeah. And he actually had Spider-Man confront J. Jonah Jameson. You know, such an obvious story idea yeah. that Straczynski never thought to do. Yeah. But he thought, let's spend five issues telling this story of Spider-Man beating up the Kingpin. Which was an awesome scene, don't get me wrong. Oh, but yeah. one awesome scene does not make five good comics. No. And Megan in shot was funny. 
<laughs> in a not so funny way. Oh, I thought it was quite humorous. Yeah. Given her age, that shot would have killed her straight away. Yeah, but well, I, I like thinking of one, more, uh, one more day, but I, I dislike one more day intensely. Um, I do like Ross's alternate camera angles. When you get past the whole Phil Sheldon falls in love with Gwen Stacy because she's just so awesome in her little pretty go-go boots. That's it, she's just awesome. She is, she's just so awesome. Yeah. That everyone just instantly falls in love with her. Um, I like the alternate camera angles that he uses when he's telling Amazing Spider-Man 121 and 122 because this all is very accurate. This is exactly as it happened, hmm. but from different angles from the angles that Phil Sheldon would see. You mentioned that he goes to the Brooklyn Bridge in the dialogue of Amazing Spider-Man 121. He actually says it's the George Washington Bridge. Yeah. They avoid that here. Yeah. Because obviously Phil can't hear what Spider-Man's saying. The two pages where Alex Ross reinterprets the night Gwen Stacy dies. It's brilliant, isn't it? Mm. It is two utterly stunning pages of art. Whatever you think of what Alex Ross became, or whether you're a bit sick of him by now, this, this is brilliant. He, he became much better. Do you, do you think he's a better artist? Yeah, this is where his paint's still very much, you can tell it's paint, but his newer stuff is very clear. And his covers for the Bionic Man are brilliant. Yeah. They really Whereas are. this, you could, it's still obviously very early. Well, see, yeah, I've said before, one of my issues with Alex Ross is his desire to make everything ultra-realistic doesn't always work. And I'm going to go into that in further Especially detail when he, a bit further. He one. works specifically in superhero comics. Yeah, um, Spider-Man works. I'm not because Spider-Man is a real person in a costume. Down with no, because yeah, yeah. It's going to sound a bit odd that, but later on I'm going to go into why I don't like his Batman, and that's primarily the reason. His Batman looks like a guy in a costume, which so I know sounds a bit stupid. It's letting down the myth. Like yeah. Whereas to be. Batman is supposed to be this mythical creature of the night. Yeah. And the minute you just draw him as a guy in a suit... He is just a guy in a suit. It doesn't work. Yeah. And it was one of my problems with Batman Year One. David Mazzuccielli, or however you pronounce wrote that, him as just a guy in a draws suit. him as a man in a Batman suit Rather instead of drawing him as Batman. He's supposed to be. Yeah. Right. And I know that sounds a bit strange, but I, I gave him a pass on Year One because at that point he wasn't the urban myth. Yeah. He was just a guy in a suit. He was learning to be the Batman. Yeah. And the problem with Alex Ross is to, for all the reasons that I like his Superman are the exact same reasons I don't like his Batman. His Superman looks real. His Superman looks like he could just walk down the street and be accepted. Because you're supposed to believe because, that. Because, yeah. And with Batman, I have a problem with it because of that reason. Yeah. In the comics, I like I like seeing him because you're reading a Batman comic. But when he's out with other people, I like the whole he just disappears and he blends into the night. Yeah. And his cape does really cool things that on a real person it couldn't do. Yeah. See, this is, I'm going on on a tangent here. Yeah. But one of the things that people always say about Batman is, well, he's so realistic, he's the most realistic superhero. No, he isn't. No. He is arguably the most fantastical superhero. He is probably the most superpowered. Yeah. yeah. Because he's not got any superpowers. Because he's also omnipotent and all-knowing. We are going to cover a story later on strong. where I am going to say there is no way in hell 
a guy without superpowers could do this. His arms would have been yes. off. He'd be stood there with his torso <laughs> bleeding from where his arms used to be. <laughs> There's just no way. So all those people say, well, Batman's a regular guy, you could really do all that. No, okay then. You go on top of the Empire State Building, throw your batarang out over the nearest flagpole, and swing. You show me you as a normal guy doing that. Go on, let me see you. I think it would depend on who's writing it. Different writers have it because yeah. Well, this is the point I'm trying to make. I have no problem with Batman being able to do all that stuff. Yeah, because he's Batman. As long as the art but makes you believe. That. Don't yeah, but don't stand there and look me in the <laughs> eye and say he's the most realistic superhero. Ninety nine point nine percent of the stuff that Batman does is in no way realistic. Is the most realistic superhero. Because yeah, at least you can argue well, Spider Man's got superpowers, so he could totally do that. Yeah. Whereas with Batman, there's, there is more suspension of disbelief in a Batman story than there is in anybody you're else. You're required to believe more in a Batman story than you are yeah. in Spider-Man. you're required to believe a normal guy, an exceptionally well-trained normal guy, yeah. an exceptionally intelligent normal guy, mm-hmm. a very rich normal guy could do that. And if you buy into it, you buy into the whole thing. But a normal guy. But <laughs> he's still a normal man. And 90% of the stuff he does... Any normal man did that, they'd be dead. Yeah. But I'm perfectly willing to subscribe to the opinion that he's not a normal man. He's the Batman. Yeah. But he's not realistic. No. And don't try and convince me that he's any more realistic than Superman. Superman is arguably more believable. Because you can't disprove Superman. Krypton. Yeah. He came from another planet, under Earth's yellow sun, he gets all these superhuman abilities. Prove to me that's not wrong. Prove that couldn't happen. Go on, go and find me somebody from a planet with a red sun and prove to me that wouldn't happen. Now, I'm sure there's some scientists out there who go, well, a red sun would have this effect on it. I don't don't care. (laughs) Until I see with my own eyes, you have not disproved it. But Batman's a normal man. But we've got off the subject of Alex Ross. And we were discussing how great the artwork is here. In fact, the recreation of the panel from Amazing Spider-Man 122 were in Amazing Spider-Man 122, Spider-Man says, nobody goes near this lady, you hear me? Nobody! In the original panel in that issue, and I dug it out, didn't I? Yes, I did. dug out our Death of the Stacey's hardcover. He spent half an hour And compared the two, just to see if Ross did screw up anywhere. And for a player to the guy, he didn't. Yeah. He matches this up. Yes, some of his camera angles are different, because this is from Phil Sheldon's point of view, mm-hmm. and there's a little bit of artistic licence taken in places, yep. but for the most part, this is spot on. There's none of this Spider-Man blue stuff, where I got out the original Ramita Lee issues of a made in Spider-Man yeah, that Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale adapted, yeah. and I, I was banging my head against the table, wasn't I? Going, this doesn't fit, Jeff! Jeff, this doesn't work! It's still good on its own. Oh, it's excellent on its own. Yeah. yeah. But if you try and make that work into continuity, you, can, you yeah. cannot. So the best thing to do is just treat Spider-Man Blue as a completely different thing. Yeah. And on its own, yes, it's fantastic. All of the Jeff Lopes himself colour series work much better on their own. Yeah, but I have a personal connection with Spider-Man, don't I? Yes. That makes me go, no! But on its own, it's brilliant. But yeah, the panel here, there's a shot in Marvels where Phil Sheldon is hiding behind a guy. He's part of the crowd. Yeah, he's part of the crowd, and the guy's turning away from Spider-Man, who is basically threatening the police at this point in the original story. You only get a little bit of that here. Mm-hmm. And if you go and look at Amazing Spider-Man 122, and I showed you this, didn't I? Yeah. There is a guy 
in that crowd who looks like Phil Sheldon because you can't quite see because of the angle of his head if he's wearing an eye patch or not but if you coloured an eye patch in it works it it totally works yeah and I'm wondering now if they did that all the way through because I only did that with the Spider-Man bits what if in but if you went back and looked at like the FF issues or whatever there's Phil Sheldon there's Phil Sheldon Phil Sheldon was this urban myth (laughs) in Marvel Comics he was always around (laughs) he's like Pandora in the new 52 yeah (laughs) but no fair play to the pair of them Um, this totally matches up with Amazing Spider-Man 121 122 that they included the snap when Spider-Man goes for Gwen Stacy because there are a lot of reprints of those two issues that don't include that yeah. Because that gives him his crisis of conscience later on, doesn't it? Yeah. Did Spider-Man kill her? In all the ones I've read, there's always been a snap. I know I've only ever read it with the snap. Yeah. But I do know there were some reprints where that wasn't included. Yeah. So, I don't know why. Um, I do want to read the comic where Hawkeye takes on the Hulk with a flaming arrow. What was that from? I have no idea. I got to the point where I couldn't be asked to just writing down all the annotations at the back anymore. Because that panel there... Looks pretty <laughs> yeah, it looks awesome. pretty damned awesome, that. Is that annotated, do you think? Yeah, probably. Let's have a Where was the annotation? Someone in the end before. You were just after or before that. Alright, yeah, what have we been after that? Oh, there you go, you just went past it. Did I? There you go. Book 4. Death of Gwen Stacy, Death of Norman Osborn, Black Panther Photo, Lizard Photo. Hulk versus Orkai. Incredible Hulk 166. I need to go and dig that out because I've got all yeah. the Hulk essentials. Just to have a look at that because that does look, that does actually look really cool. <laughs> uh, and we've already mentioned that Danny Ketch becomes... How does that fit into continuity? What? When did Ghost Rider first appear? He's not the first Ghost Rider. Well, Johnny no, Blaze is the first Ghost Rider. Yeah. Is he the Nick Cage one? Yeah. I know people are going to rage at that but it's... Yeah. I think he's... Is he Danny Ketch, the Nick? Because I've only seen the first Ghost Rider movie and I've only seen it once. I know, there was a good reason for that too. It wasn't as dreadful as ever. It was a perfectly amiable way to waste 90 minutes. Yeah, but I love watching Nicolas Cage. He's just insane, isn't he? He is. Have you seen the compilation of all these back crap crazy stuff? No, is that on YouTube? Like the bit where he dances to the door and says, Jack Hammer Because I love him. Put it in the he's, right folder, A, B, C, D. He's fantastic in Face Off. Yeah. Where he plays, does he play Pollux Troy or Castor Troy? I don't know. And then he ends up playing John Travolta, playing Pollux Troy. And John Travolta's the other way around. It's the other way around, I don't care. But Face Off's really good. Yeah. And I thought he was brilliant in Kick Ass. Okay. I thought he was really good with his Adam West impersonation. Not the bees! Um, the killer bees gotta bring your bees back! To bring this back on topic, now that Michael's gone on a rant about uh, the magnificence that is Nick Cage. Nick Cage I, is great. Yeah, Nick Cage is greatest hit. I adored Marvels when it first came out, and I still did. Mm. Unfortunately, I didn't have time to read the whole thing like I did with one of your other picks. Because I am dedicated to our show. Yeah. Uh, so I only got to read the fourth issue. But it was, it was such a novel idea at the time. And the fact that Buzzy Eck and Ross set the story at the time the issues came out, more or less added to its appeal for me hmm. the, the whole period setting of it this issue primarily deals with the death of Gwen Stacy and probably adds to the Saint Gwen image that uh, the character had that has been soiled by other writers who are incapable of accepting that some people are just decent sweet people mm-hmm. not a lot of people I grant you but yeah. some uh, the art is solid throughout Ross hasn't yet perfected his style 
Mm. And there are some rough elements as you go through this. As we've mentioned, Spider-Man specifically looks like um, he's just been ripped from the Nicholas Hammond TV show rather than the comics. In this, like I've said here, that shot there on the um, Gwen Stacy sketches at the back, that's straight from the television show. Yeah. That's a still from the TV show. I don't know who he's got as a model for Gwen, but she's really good. Unless he's not going to model for the face. Uh, the detail in it is stunning. Not quite as as amazing as the large oversized stories he did with DC. But I think this may still be my favourite of his work. Mm. As much as I do like the Batman War on Crime treasury yeah. he did. Uh, I quite I like this a lot. I like the pencils at the back mm. and the variant covers that they didn't do. It's also not as big as other things he's gone. Say with other things we've done, it's very big events yeah things happen, everything happening at once but this with is, this it's very quiet and small yeah this is the very personal yeah take on the big events and then he's got all the he's back. I love that one of his models is the Superman doll there's a picture he's got that he used for photo reference of a Superman doll holding a Barbie doll and that's the 12 inch Mega Superman doll that I used to have yeah except mine's long since gone the way of the dodo unfortunately yeah. Good pick, that one. Yeah, I'm, I'm down with your Alex Ross pick. I don't mind Alex Ross at all. In many cases, we'll, we'll come across the uh, yeah. the couple of problems I have later on. So we'll move that to one side. What's next, Michael? Next up is a little-known story. Little-known because of its uh, being an exclusive to mythology, the DC art of Alex Ross. Oh, I bought you this, didn't I? No, this is yours. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, okay. So th- this is one that I've no idea when you got it, but it's always been there. Oh, right. So, well, how old is this? When was this published? Should we have but a it's one of those things where if it was like a rainy Sunday or something, I'd pick it up and draw pictures out of it. Yeah, you were forever sketching from this when you were a kid. And it was something that... that was, I like that Wonder Woman. Agreed. Yeah, that's one of his best interpretations of Wonder Woman. Yeah. It wasn't that used as the cover of the Wonder Woman Treasury Edition. They did Batman War on Crime, yeah. Superman Peace on Earth... Shazam, I can't remember what the Shazam one was something, called. Something. And then Wonder Woman was something, something, something Dark Side. Justice League as well. Yes. Mm. Um, Spirits yeah. of the Earth yeah. was the Wonder Woman one, wasn't it? I've no idea. I don't either. But Alex Ross was something that, when I was doing art and stuff at school, I'd be a crap person, can't draw people, can't draw faces, and we just dig up an Alex Ross book and copy off his style, and it was Alex Ross who helped me do art. Excellent. Good. I'm still trying to look for when this was published. I like that as well, Uncle Sam. Yeah, the close of Uncle Sam's first. Well, you like all the, the abstract things. Yeah. I love that I like it's got his art from when he was ten. Yeah. <laughs> I like how real this is. Like, the appeal of Alex Ross to me has always been his realism. I like that the inside flap of this is the cover in pencils. Yeah. Because it is an awesome cover. cover. Yeah, right? behind the, um, the dust jacket there's a completely different cover. Mm. Anyway, sorry, I've, I've derailed you, haven't I? Yeah. Uh, this origin, the origin of the story comes from uh, writer Chip Kidd being assigned to write an eight-page story for Ross to paint his best for this book. The result was The Trust, a story that comes from the final three panels of Action Comics 654. With no cover, the story was by Chip Kidd and Ross, lettered by Top Clown. Jeff Spear provided artwork photography and Charles Cockman edited. I presume it's just Cockman. Cockman. Or Kosh. Koshman, maybe Koshman. I don't know. Um, there we go. Just find the purges. Yeah, this was the um, Dark Knight of Metropolis storyline. Yeah. Which ran in the Superman books in about 89 or 90. And very good it was too. Yeah. 
Heartily recommend it. The unthinkable has happened. Superman smashes through the globe of the Daily Planet and Batman fires a grappling hook at him and follows Superman through the streets of Metropolis. Robin calls and says that there's an alien ultra-high frequency coming from the Metropolis Observatory, only to scramble it. In the meantime, there are six stealth bombers closing in. Batman fires the kryptonite bullet and the two crash into an office building. Batman rushes to pull out the bullet and finds a brain-controlling chip on the back of Superman's neck. Brainiac technology. Superman recovers and the two crash into Brainiac's hideout. Uh, yes, this was the one that we mentioned earlier on. Yeah. That on the first of it, it's quite a good little story. Yeah. It's not many pages, is it? It's four or five pages long. One, two, three, four. Eight. Yeah, it's a little eight-page story. Um, my issues with this are twofold. Yeah. First off, Batman's out in the daytime. <laughs> I'm sorry. Right, well, okay. I know there's multiple decades. Maybe Superman will have to check when he's going to get brain controlled so that it's convenient for Batman to stay in the darkness. Yeah. Here's my question to you. In the DC Universe, if this happens to Superman, who's more qualified to take him out in a situation like this? Wonder Woman or Green Lantern? Just because Batman's got the Kryptonite ring... Because then, as we alluded to when we were talking about Marvel's 4, Superman shoots through the Daily Planet globe, shattering it, yeah. essentially. So there's millions of dollars worth of property damage there. And there's a couple of people possibly dead. Uh, no, I'm not, I'm not down with that at all. Really? Even, even wounded by Brainiac, Superman would not kill anyone. Because the minute he's got a death on his conscience, that's it. But look at the crash. Yeah. But well, has he not just crashed into the Daily Planet globe, though? No, it's... The building? Are you sure? Because you can't tell. Yeah. He just says he's crashed into it. He's crashed into the globe, was my thinking. Okay. And obviously the Daily Planet's going to make him make restitution for that, one would hope. But Batman then fires his Batarang. It catches on Superman's feet, which is point number one. Yeah. How fast is Superman moving here? How fast can Batman move? Um, and how far does his batarang reach? That and with the velocity that Superman's travelling yep. at and the speed not a rip off yep. Superman's ass. And then his, his batarang wraps around Superman's ankles. It whips Batman up after him. Yeah. Why is his arms not whipped up after him and he's left on the top of the Daily Planet building going, Ah! <laughs> so that's point I number... I never should have come out during the day. Yeah, that's point number two. Then he keeps hold of him. Yeah. All the time that this story's going on. And Superman... Even one-handed. One-handed, yeah! Because there's a point in the story where he's talking to Robin in the Batcave. And he's doing thing where they hold the community. Yeah, and he's doing that thing that James Bond yeah. knocked at the guy at the beginning of the Casino Royale. Take your hand out of your bloody ear! Mm. And the guy's like, oh, well, what are you talking about? You just give it away. Yeah. And so, yeah, so one-handed, as Superman streaks through the seats of Metropolis, not under his own power... Not under his own control, sorry. Mm. At presumably supersonic speeds, because he's Superman. Yes. And Batman's holding on with one hand. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Superman then executes uh, a swift turnaround. A U-turn. Yeah. Batman continues to hold on. And not have his back broken in several places, arms ripped off and go yeah. flying. What happened? Bane should just come up behind him here and break his back. <laughs> That's Bane. After that U-turn, they're cleaning up bits of him back in Gotham. Yeah, and it's just... Uh, I, I can't get up. That is one stretch of my suspension of disbelief too far for me. Yeah. 
yeah. that Batman can do all of this. If we're hangering by, the, he's the most realistic superhero. Yeah, not according to this story, mm. where he's more than capable of holding onto a Superman who's moving at super speed with one arm. Yeah. Um, and then Superman crashes them through a tower block. Now, I'll give you this one okay. because Batman's just shot him with the kryptonite bullet, and so presumably Superman slowed down. Isn't it fortunate for Batman that he crashed through a window, and not a enabling wall. Batman to go through the window yeah. and do a tuck and roll? Because if he'd shot him in front of a brick wall, Batman's pretty dead now. Or Superman smashed through the brick wall and Batman has enough time to fit through the gap. Because he's Batman. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the art's nice. But again, we've got the whole thing when he draws Batman ultra-realistically. His gloves, when he's shaking Superman's hand in the penultimate panel of the story, yeah. they look like um, women's ballroom yeah. gloves. Yeah. And you're just like, no. 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 He's even under that little touch on the boots where um, it's in the shape of bats. Yeah. But that being said, is Superman's really good in this. Yeah. It's different to how he normally draws Superman, do you not think? I think it's pretty similar. He normally draws Superman as being a bit older because he was influenced by George Reeves. Yeah. In this story, he seems to be drawing him a bit younger. Hmm. And he's not as bulky. Hmm. Certainly not as bulky as he would be in Kingdom Come. Yeah. But that's understandable because he's, he's, what, 15 years older at that point. He's older than that. So he's, he's thickened a bit. Um, in terms of continuity, I'm presuming this story doesn't fit into any continuity and I don't really care, yes. to be honest with you, because... This is a done-in-one little story. Continuity is the killer of all fun. Yeah, pretty much. Because if we were going by continuity, why is the Robin in this story wearing Dick Grayson's Burt Ward outfit? Whereas if this takes place after Dark Knight of Metropolis, this should be Tim Drake. Um, Not that Tim Drake exists anymore. Alex Ross's love for Dick Grayson continuity. Yeah, Alex Ross is very much... I mean, I, I, he's not... Well, he's not wearing the, the oval. Mm. Is he wearing the yellow oval round his back? At the time of Dark Knight Metropolis, or has he gone? We can go has back. he taken it over at that point? Yes, he is. Yeah, he's still wearing the yellow oval in Dark Knight Metropolis, isn't he? So. Well, have you read all of Justice yet? No, I've only read the first three issues. Have I didn't get all that read. Notice from that that it is very set in. Yeah, it's the Super Friends Justice yeah. League, isn't it? Which is what he's into. Um, I didn't mind this one. I mean, I've I've ripped it to pieces for the past five minutes. Yeah. But it's a nice shot, the late page tale. There's nothing wrong with it. Um, I love the flying shots. Mm. And as I've said, whilst I am a, I like the believable flying shots for such a realistic artist. Yes, his, his Superman flying shots are always good. Yeah. In my opinion. Um, we're going to take a break there before we look at Michael's other things because I need another drink, and we'll be right back. Come on, I have an idea that Batman should look into this. And don't forget Robin! Don't kill me! Don't 
I'll kill you, man. I'm not going to kill you. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to tell all your friends about me. What are you? I'm Batman. Legends of the Batman. Everything Batman from the beginning at BatmanLegends.com. And we're back. And what are we back doing, Michael? What are we back doing, Monster? I don't know. <laughs> Did you leave through your mammoth tome? Have you put your bookmark back I'll in? I'll put my bookmark back in, yes. Jobs are good. Alright. Go on. Next up is Justice. Mm-hmm. Justice is a little... It's not little. Well, on, uh, <laughs> on its own series. 12-issue limited series. A 12-issue limited series, which is set outside of continuity and had its own little Alex Ross continuity. Um, it, it was different for Alex Ross because he was not doing all of the art. He was only painting and over someone else's pencils. Right. Um, the first time we read this was in the British reprints, which was Justice League Legends. Yeah. Yeah. And they stopped doing it after about issue 10. And they continued it over into Superman Legends. Yeah. Yeah. So we stopped reading it there, and forever it, we didn't finish the story. So, um, and it was always in three separate hardbacks. Yeah, they always cut it in half. Yeah. It? Until The Absolute came out. It's, it is now available as one trade paperback. Uh, yeah, after The Absolute came out. But having never heard of what an Absolute was, and looking at it and see, seeing how pretty damn awesome they watching are. watching you drool. Yeah. That thing, <laughs> absolute formats. Absolutes are gorgeous. Well, Absolute formats are. I think Alex Ross was the type of artist that Absolutes were made for. Because mm. it is really good for his type of art. Well, I'm, I'm like that with these Treasure Editions IDW are doing. Yeah. I almost bought Danger Girl again because J. Scott Campbell's artwork looks lovely in that oversized format. Yeah. And I wanted the Doctor Who Dave Gibbons one. And I've not seen it anywhere. They've just done a John Byrne Star Trek one, which looked really nice. Yeah. But I didn't buy it because I was going to Comet Map, so I wanted my money for that. Fair enough. But that, I want the Doctor Who Dave Gibbons one because these Treasure Editions are. I don't think it's just Alex Ross. I well, think no, I'd love to see an artist. I'd love to see John Romita Senior Spider-Man work at this size. Yeah, because I think I mean Darwin Cook's art is good. Yeah, but when you're reading through Sandman, it's very hit and miss over what. Well, Sandman had very hit and miss good. artwork, didn't yeah. it? Yeah. Irrespective of what you think of the story, some of it works. It is is good in an absolute format, whereas other things are just not so much. PK Russell's stuff's good. Yes, the the person who did I can't remember what he's called, but the person who did the penultimate story arc, where it was the funeral of Morpheus. And yeah, it was I all don't in remember. Pencils. I can't remember who did it, but that was really good. It was all in pencils and really well done. Right. Anyway, back to justice. Well, we're not a Neil Gaiman podcast. We are not a Neil Gaiman podcast. Justice Part Two. Uh. uh just Why did you choose issue two of a 12-issue limited series? Because I felt this issue stood on its own. I don't think the first issue stands on its own. The first issue is very much setting up the story. I think the first issue is very boring if you're going to do it on its own. On its own. Right, okay, fair enough. But the, the second issue is very much on, on its own. It's a standalone Batman tale as part of the overall narrative. Yeah. Um, it, it has a cover by Ross of the Riddler standing smug underneath a moody floaty Justice League. <laughs> Particularly Batman. Yeah. He was given front and centre. Yeah. Is that an Alex Ross cover or is it a Dougie Braithwaite cover? I think that's just an Alex Ross cover. Right. Because you've got this signed. Uh huh. By Doug Braithwaite. Who was lovely. Yes, he was. He also drew me a little sketch. He did. Of Superman who looks an awful lot like my granddad. Does he? He looks like Grandad Ari. 
Does he? Yeah. Excellent. Fair enough. Um, the second printing variant is of Batman jumping against the white background. Do we have that? Yes, we do. Oh, is it in the supplementary material? Well, no. Um, in this absolute edition, mm. at the back there is these little character bios as though they were written from Batman's computer. Right, yeah, I was reading these. Now, all the... Um, I love his pencils. Yeah. Oh, there it is. That's... All these are variant covers. Right. The, the supervillain ones are pencils just for the absolute. It's, it's signed by Dougie Braithwaite and Alex Ross. Well, maybe it's... Did him. Alex Ross dream this one up like Kingdom Come? He, yes, he had a hand in the story. But Jim Kruger wrote it. Him and J- Jim Kruger co-wrote the story and Jim Kruger just did the... And Dougie stuff. Braithwaite penciled it. Yes. Which has got to be one of the most thankless tasks in comics. What? Penciling Alex Ross's what's going to be Alex Ross's paintings. Yeah. Because you look at this, and it's all Alex. There's Ross. no Dougie Braithwaite in it. Well, that's it. It's like we read this because it was Alex Ross. I got it because it was Alex Ross, and then I read there was another guy penciling it, and I was like, ah. like so why did they, they do that? I have no idea. Is is it because this is just my opinion right. or theory? Alex Ross isn't a great sequential storyteller. He's great at splashes. Yeah. He's great at posters. He's great at iconic images. Because that's what he does. Yeah. Is he not a very good sequential storyteller? Or is that not where his strengths lie? It could be. So by getting a penciler in to do the the actual storytelling, if you will, then Alex Ross has got something to go off and can work his magic. Yeah. But Dougie Braithwaite was the one who's actually the storyteller and actually quite good at telling a serial narrative through pictures. But... When we were talking about Marvels, you were the one who said how good he's... Yeah, see, that's what I mean. Does my theory hold water? Yeah. Because he was very good in Marvels. But I'm trying to think of anything. Kingdom Come. He didn't have a penciler on Kingdom Come, did he? No, that was all in. Unless Dougie Braithwaite was there to keep him on time. Maybe. Because even when it was first released, this was a bi-monthly. Yeah. So even at 12 issues, it was still taking two years to come out. Yeah. So maybe it was just quicker for him to... Yeah. Yeah. Possibly. Justice Part 2 was written by Jim Kruger, penciled by Doug Brethwaite, and painted by Alex Ross, and Todd Clean lettered. The Riddler is in Wayne Industries, using the super-duper-fast computer, though, to hack into Batman's digital information system. One of the goons spots Bruce Wayne heading towards them. <laughs> One of the goons. The information finished burning onto a CD, and they all prepare for Wayne outside, only to be attacked by Batman. They escape in a van and Batman follows in the Batmobile, beating himself up because the Riddler having the Batman's identity stuck in his face. But luckily for Bruce, Riddler didn't believe in the computer. <laughs> John Jones contacts him about Aquaman's current disappearance. Batman then fires a grappling hook and stops the van. He takes out the escaping goons and follows Riddler into a club called the Batcave. He's attacked by more goons, but the people inside the Batcave <laughs> stop them and the Riddler attacks Batman with a light to a flying question marks that knocks Batman off a little when he comes to he sees a smashed Russian doll with an ear and an eye inside before he left he mentions something about toys being broken possibly a reference to his father Batman finds the Riddler at the Gotham Cemetery where he's greeted by more of Riddler's holograms that then actually hit Batman Batman overcomes Riddler but he starts having a coughing fit and both of them have no idea why Batman takes the CD and the Riddler is arrested. Around the world, they want the Legion of Doom. Meanwhile, the Legion of Doom! Use their powers to create miracles and help those in need. <laughs> Love doing that. Also, in an unknown location, Aquaman wakes up, tied to a table, 
just in time to be lobotomized by Graham Brainiac. Lobotomized. Lobotomized. <laughs> um, the first thing that came to me, I've got a crowd not read all of this. I wanted to read all of it. Yeah. Before we did the show, and I just ran out of time. It is very epic near the end. Um, so I've only got to read the first three issues, but I'm going to finish it because I'm quite enjoying it. Mm. Uh, the first thing I noticed about the first issue, though, um, first issue, the yeah. first page, a CD. God, this is dated already. Let me just fire this onto my USB pen. Yeah, it would take a lot quicker Let if you had a USB pen. Let me use cloud storage to make the <laughs> to my computer cloud. back home. Let's just back this up to cloud and leave. Yeah. It could just be getting on with it. Batman doesn't even know we're ever here. God damn, Apple are killing the superhero industry. So yeah, the supervillain industry. Damn them all to hell. Um, why does Alex Ross draw Batman with Adam West's utility belt? That big bulky thing Adam West used to wear. It's so Adam West's utility belt. Where else are you going to keep all of his things? He's Where does he get those wonderful toys? He pulls things out of his utility belt and there's no room for them in them. That's why it's cool. Alright, I think um, so. He's in, he, he's in cahoots with Murray Poppins. I loved that the, on the, the computer screen, the monitoring Bruce Wayne, and as the door opens, they say, Good evening, Mr. Wayne. No, not Wayne. Not even close. And they think... Batman has somehow hacked into the computer system and tricked them, which I love because it is one of those things why would you even suspect Bruce Wayne is Batman? It's like Man of Steel. Yeah, because there are tons of people who are like well, if they actually sat down and think how much Batman's toys cost how many people know about his toys? Yeah. They've got his Batmobile and his aircraft and stuff, but they don't... General people don't know about his Batcave. No. They don't know about all the computer stuff he's got in the Batcave. They're just things we know as the real Yeah, we know all of that stuff. But they don't. And in pre-crisis continuity, the Batmobile was made for him, wasn't it? Was it? By somebody else. Because um, there's that episode of Batman the Animated Series called The Mechanic. Yeah. Where we establish that this guy built him the Batmobile. And it's only in later iterations that, of Batman. The mute? No, that's oh, Harold. Right. That's a completely different thing. Right, okay. um, it's only in later iterations of Batman that Bruce has built everything on his own yeah. with a little bit of help from Alfred. Oh, because he's great at mechanics now. Because Batman's very realistic. Oh, oh, yeah. And he's, he's so he's built all that stuff on his own mm. and built all those computers from scratch. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time. See, you don't have to explain everything. One of the problems I have with Batman Begins is everything's explained. Yeah. This is where the Batmobile comes from. One of the worst ones in the Fantastic Four movie where they explain why Reed Richards has got grey sideburns. Yeah. <sighs> Old age? No! The, it's not! You know, Batman is, is so super powered that even hands chipped away at the rock to form the Batcave. <laughs> He did it himself. He brought down. He brought down hose pipes just to fill up all the watery bits. <laughs> um, yes, yes, very much so. Um, I like that uh, the Batmobile. The Batmobile is a sexy thing by Ultras. Were, were is that a specific Batmobile from a specific era, or is it for this story? It's just, I'm assuming it's just for the story because it is an excellent it Batmobile. Like it's very sleek. It's a cross it's between similar to the Tim Burton the animated. Yeah, one. it's a cross between the Tim Burton. 1989 Batman yeah. movie Batmobile yes. let's make all that make sense and the animated series isn't it yeah it's kind of a cross between the two of them you know Altros has has his own Batmobile does he he mentions in mythology like his brother like got him the, the car that one of the old Batmobiles is based on attached a fin to the roof of it and got him a yeah, Batmobile made him a Batmobile because yeah. um, I would have thought Alex Ross would have been drawing the 1940s 
yeah. Batmobile, which is essentially just a roadster with a big bat on the front, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, his early stories, he just drove around in this red car. Yeah, he could have had the red one. Yeah, he could have had the red one, but yeah. Because I love that the inside of it looks like the Starship Enterprise bridge. Mm. It's very detailed. It is very with its continuity. It's old continuity, but new mm. things. It's the thing with this story is it's time loss. It yeah. can take place anywhere. It really doesn't matter. It's just... Uh, it's Barry Allen's The Flash, isn't he? And Hal Jordan's Green Lantern. And yeah. it's all the... Dick Grayson's Robin. Dick Grayson's Robin. It's all the classic archetypes. Yeah. More than anything else. Um, there are a couple of shots of Superman hovering over the Earth, which, which are always gorgeous. Yeah. Even if they don't paint the story. The best one of them is in Superman... Um, Peace on Earth. Where he's flying over yeah. the Earth. Where it's the very much like the end faces. of the Christopher Reeve movies. Yeah. But it's just such a wonderful piece of artwork. I like the little plastic command poster. Yeah, life is plastic. Advertising a card because superheroes would do endorsements. But yeah, I don't. I don't really have a problem with that. Um, was Superman Returns inspired by these shots? The oh. shots were Brandon Ralph just hovering over planet Earth. Could have been because it looks. Some of that looks very Alex Ross. Mm. Or was it just the '78 Superman movie? I'd, what I want to know is why Superman is out just looking over the Earth instead of chilling on the satellite with everyone else. Because he's Superman and he can do cool stuff like that. Wouldn't you? And Alex Ross is sat down in his home with a telescope, just painting it. Yeah, he's just watching it happen. Um, we've already mentioned my ambivalence. <laughs> Doug Brethwaite, one of the good. It possibly is Dougie Brethwaite. Yeah. We've already mentioned my ambivalence towards his Ross's Batman. And again, a lot of what Ross's does is make a character look realistic. And it works for Superman and Wonder Woman. Batman shouldn't look realistic. It I, dilutes his his mythic status. I, I do like it, but you do have a valid point. It it, I, it may just be how I see Batman. Yeah. But my Batman wouldn't be getting involved in a, in a prolonged brawl in the middle of a nightclub. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I do like how the ba- nightclub is called the Batcave. Yeah. And, in there, like, and I do Batman. like that everyone in there is on Batman's side. Yeah. Which I thought was quite good. And I like the Batman tattoos that one of the kids has mm. over his eye. But one of my problems, one of my problems with Dark Knight Rises was Batman comes out in the day. Yeah. I don't like a Batman that comes out in the day. Mm. That's just not my bag, man. Um, the next page, what's, what's Giles from Buffy doing here? <laughs> it's... It's Anthony Stewart Head. Yeah. Is that Dr. Jonathan Crane? Yeah, it's the Scarecrow. So he's used Anthony Head for his model for Jonathan Crane. He could have. Which is fair enough. Mm. I, I, I don't Because this is what... Justice was very much a... Wow, these bad guys are actually... Wow, I'm actually on the side of the bad guys in this story. What, because they're saving the world? Yes, but then the, the, the big payoff... At the end. With the epic... There's like three epic brawls going on at the same time at the end. Right, well, I'll get there. You, okay. Um, I must say, uh, we don't have bloody page numbers again, but no. the panel in the nightclub where everybody's attacking Batman is awesome. Yeah. And Batman's been pinned down. And then the next page is him just kicking their ass. <laughs> <laughs> he's just wiping the floor with them. Because you think Batman for a minute... He's just an ordinary guy. He's Batman. He's a goddamn Batman. That's a line that's never going away, isn't it? No. He's the goddamn bad God damn it, Frank Miller, what have you done? Um, I don't normally spot Alex Ross's photo references, because by and large, he uses his friends. Yeah. So not particularly famous people. So apart from the fact that Anthony Stewart Head's playing Jonathan Crane... Mm. Well, there's a whole section on his... Um, on who he uses. In, um, like, Kingdom Come. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
But why is Grant Morrison Brainiac? Because there is a reason for this. Is it, is it, is it Grant Morrison? Yeah. Because I'm looking at that going, that's Grant Morrison. In the back of this, he explains that he chose Grant Morrison to his model because he thought that at the time of doing this with 52 and um, the, the Batman stuff starting then, he thought that Grant Morrison was the Brainiac of DC. Right. So he thought it would be funny to have Grant Morrison be, Actually be Brainiac. the Brainiac of the DC. Yeah. All right, fair enough. I thought I did. I'm reading it thinking, is it? Yeah. Did you read him with a Scottish accent like I did? No. I did. Because I was unsure as to whether or not it was deliberate. Yeah. But now I know it's deliberate. I've got no choice but to read Brainiac with a Scottish accent. Yeah. I have to do that now, you know. <laughs> I can't read... Every other Scottish person I find reading in my own little voice. But Grant Morrison, I always have to read it in his voice, which always takes me half as long... No, no twice as long to so read. So you're, you're having to read everything like that. Yeah. When you're looking along and Brainiac's coming through and he's saying, you have to understand, it's not real. He's a mythic archetype. He's not of any specific age. Batman's 75 and Robin's 74. He's just took that out of last week. Kids have no problem understanding what's real and what's not. (laughs) (laughs) Was it? If we have any Scottish listeners, I'm sure they'll be able to point out all the places that it's not. He made a point one time in his interview interview with Gerard Way that he he did an interview on TV in America and had to tone down his Scottish accent just so that... They dubbed train spotting in America. Did they? They, All the actors had to dub train spotting with less of an accent so that it would play in cinemas. Fair enough. See, I... I don't know if I'm like being offensive or anything, but like, but in train spotting especially, I think the Scottish accents are pretty hilarious. Oh, they're brilliant, <laughs> especially Sick Boy. Yeah. Johnny Lee Miller's brilliant in that film. Yeah. He knows a lot about Sean Connery. <laughs> well, you have it, well then you lose it, and you can never get it back. <laughs> what about the Untouchables? Oh, I don't hear that at all. <laughs> That's fantastic. I like the other one. Who's in um, Once Upon a Time now? Oh, Begbie. Yeah, he just throws his glass over the side of the Robert wall. Robert Carlyle. Right, which one are you... And I can't say that word. <laughs> in this <laughs> Trainspotting's a great it film. It is. I've argued with adults over that film. Which adult? Uh, Michael Coram's dad. Does he not like Trainspotting? He said, oh, it's just an advert for drugs. No, but it's No, it's, it's really not. <laughs> so the first 40 minutes, yeah, okay. Well, that's the whole point of the film. You have to show the highs before you can show the lows. Otherwise... You can't do a, a, an anti-drug tract yeah. by starting with the guys on withdrawal. It doesn't work. Yeah. You have to show why you get addicted to all this stuff yeah. to show why coming off it is so difficult. Mm-hmm. You can't just go straight to the withdrawal because you're like, I don't care, he's a whiner. Yeah. So you have to see why they would get addicted to it and the lifestyle and all of that. That cool turkey bit always... With the baby on the roof. I hate the baby. <laughs> I love that it's so obviously a doll. Yeah. Because that plays into the whole dream-like well, sense I, I of the sequence. Hasted, but, yeah. Could have done without seeing Ewan McGregor's lightsaber. <laughs> oh, yeah. To be honest with you. We didn't see enough of Kelly MacDonald with no top on. Mm. But we got to but see Ewan's knob. I think there's a reason for that. With her being what? 14 No, time? she's playing 16. Right. In real life, she was 19. Is that how they got away with That's that? That's how they get away with it. Right. She wasn't 16 in real life. Okay. She's married to Thingy from Travis. Okay. Dougie from Travis. Not Travis. No, not, not, not. <laughs> there isn't somebody in there. Isn't that? Unless the bad guy from Blake 7... <laughs> With the eye patch and, and the gun for a hand. He's writing all the music He's for He's writing all the music for Travis. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
very good. How did we get from Batman to Trainspotting to Blake Sam? I don't know. I don't know either. Um, I wasn't sure about this one. There's a part of me that thinks it really wouldn't take Batman an entire issue of running around to catch the Riddler. But the art in the nightclub sequences is very pretty. Mm. And the story does actually move along very fast. And the fact that I do want to read the rest of it, because I'm interested in seeing Aquaman get lobotomised, is quite interesting. And then there's Grant Morrison. I'm just trying to get inside your head. (laughs) No, it's heed, isn't it? The way the Scottish said, yeah, heed. That's bringing that through for me, you know. (laughs) Were they able to find you? I would be able to confess my envy. (laughs) (laughs) Billy Connolly should so play Brainiac. (laughs) Let's just, be awesome. let's just take the Alex Ross route and have Grant Morrison play a Brainiac <laughs> <laughs> oh dear god oh I listened to his John Lennon tune that you put in last week's show yeah moving on <clears throat> um, I do want to read the rest of this so I'm going to keep hold of that it's, it's very good because I do want to read the rest of that even though I'm hip deep in doing notes for next week's show mm. because uh, oh, that's that's the note taking never ends the dust jacket that yeah, has that got a picture on the inside of the dust jacket? No. Has it not? But it's just one. It, the, the sketches are in rough justice, though. Right. Okay. Finally! Finally. An absolute that isn't quite as heavy, but thankfully. Cost more, didn't it? I've no idea. Uh, Mum got me some Your Mum got you that one, yeah. And I thought, ah, oh, it's a smaller one, it'll be cheaper than all the other ones, and she said she couldn't find it anywhere. Except so she actually bought it in a shop for you? Did she? I think she so. She said the only place she found it that it was much, much more expensive than anywhere else. Right. Okay, I don't know. Which? Uh, have you got the little... Okay. Yeah. Job's good. Um, tonight's final issue is a s- small finale to a grand story. The Kingdom Come epilogue wraps up the four issues before it and it's an exclusive to the absolute format to the story. Which I can't decide if I like or not. Because I've got the original four issues of this yeah. that I bought when it first came out and I'm, I'm not fond of the idea there's a whole chapter to the story that isn't there's pages as well is it like is there additional pages like in Absolute New Frontier there's only one I'm probably not going to be able to find it but the bit where Superman goes to Apocalypse and talks to oh yeah Ryan. and talks to Orion who's taken over for Dark Side. yeah that yeah. is that's exclusive to this yes right I know what it is because unlike the others I did read all of this yeah I sat down to just read your epilogue and I thought, oh, go on. And I ended up tearing through it all in one night. Mm, it's a good read. It was. It was very enjoyable. Um, one year later... After uh, the events after, of Kingdom Come... I should probably say who did it. Yes. Yeah. Well, Kingdom Come <laughs> is uh, dedicated to Christopher Reeve. That's nice. And it was Christopher Reeve's 60th birthday yesterday. Was it? Or it would have been had he still been alive. Right. And Mark Hamill's birthday on the same day. Right. Which I didn't know. Mm. Kingdom Come is by Mark Wade, back when he was still doing stuff for DC. Is there a reason he's not doing stuff for DC? No one's doing anything for DC. Well, people are, obviously. Everyone's going out in fits of rage. Because Scott Snyder isn't. It's, well, a lot of people are actually leaving DC. And it's not just, oh, one person's doing it, oh, someone else, it's just a Every A lot of people are leaving DC at the moment. Uh, well, there's been a lot... We've not read the Zero Hours yet, but there's been a lot of fallout over some of the retroactive continuity that's gone out in the Zero Issues that I'm looking forward to reading now. I'm not looking forward to the Batman one. Are you not? No. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Because just flicking through um, my friend's copy of Batman 
zero and reading things on the internet. I'm just who, really who, who buys Batman? Singleton. Oh, has he already got it? Yeah, that's not fair. He subscribes to them, so he gets. He, he's only subscribing to uh, Action and Batman now. Right. To which I keep saying, you "Should read this. You should read that." And at the same time, I'm going, "No, don't read that. Don't read this. Don't get into things I like." You just lends him off you, doesn't he? he? He's learned some things off me. Right. Yeah. Anyway, back to Kingdom Come. Back to Kingdom Come. <laughs> uh, written by Mark Wade, done by Alex Ross with letters by Todd Clean. No editors or anything. No edit. Apparently not. This absolute. I'm getting. Just give me a few seconds to clean up my absolute. Yeah, he's he's cleaning his fingerprints off his absolute. Yeah. You do. I, I I read it on the floor. Yeah. So I only had to turn the page gingerly. You're still on the floor. Do you know how much dirt is on the floor? Because of the cats. Yeah. Oh, yeah. One year later, after the events of the fo- previous four issues, Clark and Diana find a seat in a cafe, Planet Krypton, where they wait for Bruce. Can I just say I would so totally eat at Planet Krypton? Well, did you know? go to it in the Super Mario Returns game. Can you? Yeah. Awesome. You can't go inside, there's just a big... It's just outside. It's, it's a, the sign is really cool, it's a, like a big sign of, um, it's kind of like Planet Hollywood, mm. but it's an exploding green planet. Right. Okay. The two have a secret that Diana plans on keeping, just to see Bruce surprised. He arrives and Clark has to see how the boys are. Uh, the drinks arrive and the three talk about how everyone's co- uh, coping after the previous bombing that killed almost all of the superpowered community. Diana is teaching the new generation, Clark is growing plants in the radioactive fallout zone and is also working on reducing the radioactivity and Bruce is working at his own hospital to help the injured. Clark and Diana tell Bruce that they have something to announce and Bruce cuts them off telling them that she's pregnant. Clark and Diana sit back astounded. Then Diana asks Bruce to be the godparent, which is a surprise to both him and Clark, as he will be able to teach them what the child thinks that the two of them can't. Clark talks to Bruce and tells him that he's always trusted him. The two hug and they all leave talking about the child. They leave, head home, and dream about the future. Here's a tiny little epilogue. Um, the level of detail in these last couple of pages is is quite astonishing. Somebody said that that Superman is greeting them with the longer hair in addition to being a nod to long-haired Superman yeah. that was being published in the comics of the time is Dean Cain. Oh, yeah. Is it, do you think? Do I'm you see it? I don't see that. But, you know. I think those first two panels are hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> be, be nice, Clark. When he's greeted by a Superman with long hair. Because he is very much... Huh. Yeah, it's Clark's reaction and body language throughout this entire short little tale is brilliant. Mm. Batman treats it with utter contempt. Yeah. But Clark's very... Hmm. He's just not sure, well, is he? Well, at the same time, Wonder Woman is right. It is a decent place for superheroes to hide. Yeah. In plain sight, yeah. essentially. Um, I do like that the Supergirl in the corner of panel one is wearing a Helen Slater costume. Looks from like the Supergirl movie. Emma Watson as well. Does it? A blonde Emma Watson, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. See, Emma Watson will have only been about six when this was done. Well, I know it's, I know it's not a model off or anything. But, but you think it looks like Emma Watson. Yeah. I love how Emma Watson talks. Okay. She was on the radio the other day plugging a new film. Yeah. That, that very plummy. Yeah. Very plummy voice that she's got. Yeah. Hermione Granger. I like it. That, anyway. Um, Batgirl in the back just reading comics. I love that it's Yvonne Craig. 
Is it? From the Batgirl TV show. That is so Yvonne Craig. The one that we took the mick out the other day. It's like, ah, bring her with us. Yeah. Yes, let's bring <laughs> Yeah, BBC4 is currently BBC4. ITV4 is rerunning the Batman TV show at 7.30 in the morning. Yeah. So every morning we'll sit and watch it before we go to school and work or whatever. And yesterday, or the day before, who was the bad guy? Do you remember? It was a bunch of cowboys. Oh, it was Shane. Yeah. From Cliff Robertson as Shane. Yeah. Which means that Spider-Man's Uncle Ben in a previous life was a Batman villain. Oh, okay. Which amused me no end. Yeah, well, they were all scared. Yeah, and they, they knock out Batman and Robin and Batgirl, and then Shane says, bring Batgirl with us. Yeah. And Michael was sat there giggling, and I goes, well, said, yeah, let's bring the attractive girl in the skin-tight purple bodysuit with us. Yeah. Come along, keep the mask on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very amusing. Um... There's some great little background details throughout this entire story as well. All the DC bullets yeah. are scattered around. Apart from the new 52 one. Well, you'll notice. Then there's a Warner Brothers one there. Yeah, I like... Um, the, the, the bat gyro play. Yeah, there's bat things in the mm. background and, and all What's that, that stuff. that uniform from? I don't know. Is it a Challenger of the Unknown? Possibly. I thought that was purple. I don't know. <laughs> Did he or Sattler... Is it, no, Dan DiDio's not in this. No. Bruce Tim and Paul Dinia yeah. were the only two I spotted. Victor Bueno, who was King Tut in the Batman TV series, is there. Mm. Um, I love that panel on the second pe- page yeah. of the uh, the epilogue. Clark just looking at all the different coloured kryptonites suspiciously. Mm. Like, they and better the, not be real. The H dial. And the dial H for hero thing. What are, I know that's the first appearance of Hal Jordan on the... That menu. The the Batman shot is the first appearance, the first of, Robin. appearance of Robin. What's the Flash one from? I don't recognise the Flash. Because it's not the first appearance of Barry Allen. Uh, and the Mr. Mixius Pitlick thing as well. I'm, I'm not overly sure. Um, I like Alex Ross's Superman. I like that he's a bit older. I like this Clark more. Clark hasn't gotten much older and gone to seed, but he has thickened yeah. as his age, getting not so much more muscular, but he's a lot bigger. Hmm. Presumably because of the amount of red sun, red sun, yellow sun that he's, uh, he's absorbing. And not used. Yeah, and not using. Um, and the table. little star Yeah, there's a little star I look, the table's Plastic Man. Yeah. I presume it's only supposed to be a Plastic Man cover. Unless this is what Plastic Man's doing for money now. Yeah, possibly. The Kamata Ketchup has a WB logo. Um, and in the background there's a Cosmic Treadmill. The Salt and Peppers are um, the bulleteers. Yeah. I mean, I think I... I, I like these next two panels. Excuse me, are you... Yes. Using the ketchup, we run out of that. Yeah, he thought guess. he was going to say, you Batman. Yeah. And, because uh, he is just referred to as Batman throughout this, isn't he? Bruce Wayne has no secret identity anymore. No. He's been exposed and he's just called Batman. Um, there's so many visual gags here. If we carry on, we're just going... We're not going to be a show. We're just know, going to become I've a dry annotation so recital. Just, just looking at, at it and... and drinking in there's always that little bit you haven't seen before every time you look at it well my problem with it is there is so much where there's enough going on in the background that you start getting out of the story because isn't that Jonah Hex's stuffed body or is it just his costume I don't know it may not be Jonah Hex I don't know Mm. it would be quite gross to have Jonah Hex stuffed body in though wouldn't it they do it with animals Um, can I have a mug that looks like a green lantern if they do then lantern please because yeah. that's just oh, the arrows kind of awesome. put in the milk like umbrellas well yeah trick arrows because there's a boxing glove yeah <laughs> oh green arrow I love this hi I'm Robin of course, of course you are, you are. <laughs> yeah. and what, what are your orders steak well done 
Well, there's man of beef, there's steak. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> I like the the bad, bad Power Girl joke. Yes, where they ask him... Power Girl chicken sandwich. With the cut. His breast. <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> Dial H for Hoagie in the giant turtle suit. Is that to do with Jimmy Olsen? Yes, Dial H for... Because uh, he is an issue. Giant turtle. Yeah. Turtle boy or turtle man or something. I forget what. Superman, Superman and the jungle something. I love the drinks. Yeah. Of course, Batman's a coffee addict. Mm. Which makes perfect sense. Instead of his five minute power nap. And Clark drinks milk. Because he's truth, justice. And Mum's apple pie. Boy. Yeah. So I quite like that. Um, George Reeves' costumes on the wall, mm-hmm. along with pictures from... Bizarro World. Bizarro World is hung up as a lantern. I, I like that the the steak isn't cooked properly, so, so Clark super, burns yeah. it with his, his heat vision, presumably. And some onion rings. Yeah. Um, oh, there's the key to the Fortress Solitude as well. Yeah, there's it's just so many. Liquid. I like how Bruce guesses she's pregnant. Yeah, it's the entire way through is all. Oh, let's keep it a secret from one of these surprise. You're pregnant because yeah, how do you know? Because yeah. I'm Batman. Which is the answer to everything. I still don't get the close-up shot of a her showing that she's got some grey hers. How does having grey her signify that you're pregnant? I don't know. I don't. Un- I didn't understand that at all. Hmm. I get that he, he there are telltale clues, yeah, like that he's put some weight on. Um, on the next panel, there is Mark Wade and Alex Ross. Oh right, mm-hmm. Alex Ross has bad hair in that picture. He does. Is that a poster for Superman? Yeah, that's movie? a poster for Superman the movie. And there's Candor. Yeah, there's the Bottle City of Candor and various different Green Lanterns, mm. and lots of other faces in the background that you know don't remember. There's Turtle Boy. Yeah. And, a, and the Blackhawks playing. And Beppo, the Super and Monkey. satellite. Yeah. Lots of lovely little detail. Yeah. And then, just when you think it's all getting too much for you, Clark and Bruce hug. Bro hug. Oh. Which I, I actually quite like, to be honest. Yeah, after this story, were they weren't exactly at each other's throats, but... but they were very against each other. Yeah, they weren't seeing eye to eye. But neither Wonder Woman and Superman weren't seeing eye to eye to it no. for most of the story. Um, if you turn the page... Phil Sheldon's at the bar. Yeah. Having a drink alongside. And there's, there's actual plastic man in, in the window. Yeah, looking through the window. Yeah. Yes. Sergeant Rock's hat. Yeah. Um, From Easy Company. There's other ones. There. Yeah, there's Hartman's helmet and various other things. Oh, like how the Spectres, though. It's like this, this is a Spectres platter. This is spinach and cottage cheese. <laughs> and then Uncle Sam. Yeah. Is also the and the book ends with a shot of what is considered the first DC comic on mm. the wall. Which as was well as the Sandman's gear. And the Sandman's gear in the corner. Yeah. Mm. Um I read this completely as a gestalt for the first time since I bought the four issues. And one, don't say I don't do my research. And two, it's the first time I've read it since it came out. I read it as four issues when it came out. It's not something I've ever revisited. I don't know why, because I did not not like well, it. For the first time I read it, I didn't enjoy it. Did you not? When, no. Because, well, for a starter, I thought it was a much too mature story for me to get in, into and enjoy when I first read it. Right. But when I read it like, last year or the year before is The Absolute, I enjoyed it much more. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. It has a hurdle as its central spine that I can't get over in that Superman 
has packed it all in. And it hinges on that. And I, I've never bought a Superman that packs it all in. Whereas I could believe a Superman who packs it in. Could you? Yeah. Why? Well, I don't know. I see in this it's there's a new generation and he's just, no one respects him much anymore. Hmm. And so he goes away and becomes that urban myth. I can see him just... Retiring to a farm. Saying, you know what, if you don't need me anymore, I've got plenty of better things I could be doing with my time. See, I don't buy him packing it in. Um, and we're justified in talking about the story on this one, because essentially this is Alex Ross's baby, isn't it? Oh, it's made quite plain in the supplementary materials that this was all plotted by Alex Ross. Even Jeff Johns has done numerous other pre- uh, prequels and such called The Kingdom in his JSA series and one-shots, which were Alex Ross penned, I think, and Ross gave him the approval and story ideas and all sorts. Right. Because this does mention at the end of it that they want to do a sequel. Which I'm assuming was the JSA stuff. Yeah, because Mark Wade wasn't involved with them. No, but... For some reason. Is Mark Wade still on DC now? No, Mark Wade's oh, he's DC gone back to Marvel, as, as yeah. well. Yeah. And he's doing his own creator-owned stuff, isn't he? Mm. He's doing the stuff at Boom. Is yeah. it Boom? And he's doing his digital comics... That you can read for free. So much actually pretty cool. I've read the... Well, I flipped through his um, Marvel Infinity comics he did for Revenge vs. X-Men. Hmm. Just because they're so cool to play about with. They're actually animated. So. Yeah. Well, that's that's what his argument was, isn't it? Digital comics, just putting comics on the screen does not make them digital comics. No, he did, yeah. So he's, he's actually playing around with the medium. Well. Yeah, you've got to do something like that. Um... Anyway, there are enough good things throughout the story to justify its existence. I suspect I'm much kinder to it now because I'm a fan of old gang come out of retirement and show the kids how it's done stories, yeah. which I think I've mentioned before. Um, since Dan DiDio decided that no one in the DC universe is apparently over the age of 23, this look at aged superheroes DC is quite drunk. a nice change. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Once the things in the hand start glowing. That's it. Get out, get out to Sanctuary. Uh, Big robot's going to come after him. Ah, my uh, 32 alert has gone off. Ah, Wonder Woman's age. Quickly, give her boots and jeans. (laughs) Skinny jeans. Go away. Um, The epilogue is what you've chosen to focus on, probably because it wasn't in the original version. But it features the main cast actually being nice to each other. Yeah. Which doesn't happen throughout most of the actual story, does it? For most of the story, Superman's this wishy-washy, useless character. And Wonder Woman, it takes Wonder Woman to show him what he needs to do, which is a shame, mm. because there are some truly iconic visuals in well, this story. With Superman, he's very much all wishy-washy, I don't know what to do until he goes badass at the end, but the only problem is he literally goes bad mm. at the end. Yeah, see... Mm. But we, we weren't reviewing the whole thing, so I didn't make detailed notes. Mm. On it, although that's on the face of it, I enjoyed it, and I like the idea that he's simply referred to as Batman since he revealed his his identity. I like the Batman robots. Yes, I like them as well, and I like the idea that Bruce Batman double crosses Lex Luthor. Yeah. Before Luthor can do it to him, mm. and I love that Oliver Queen hasn't mellowed with age. He's still at all. He's still an ornery cuss, isn't he? Yeah. Which I thought was quite interesting. Um... Do you think Kingdom Come deserves its classic status? I've no idea about that. Because, um, with it being a good, um, well, it is a mega mm. event, really. I don't think it is a classic. Because it's. 
See, we've talked about this before, haven't we? We've talked yes. about hit and run yeah. versus people who come in and do long, established runs on characters. But at the same time, is this a hit and run or is this... Well, it's not a long, established run. No. But you can argue it's not messing with a long, established run. Because it is set on its own. Yeah, it's a completely separate... It's, is this an else world? Yeah. Is it labelled as an else world? Uh, yeah. Because it's set in 1999, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Or it was nineteen ninety nine the last appearance of Superman well, or something. When it's been put into continuity in its own little multiverse in fifty two and yeah, 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 yeah. But there is a bit in um the the Lightning Saga. Yeah. Which is once again the Jeff Johns story where No Jet Lightning Saga's not Jeff Johns. It's Jeff Johns and Brad Meltzer. Oh, right, okay. Did Jeff Johns do the Justice Society bits? Yeah, but there's a bit in it where um, Starman, who's been hopping around the multiverse, just go, I went to this uh, one uh, world where everyone was against each other. Didn't like it much. No, right. And it's just left there. But I don't think it should be a classic. Like, so you wouldn't say, let's get Dark Knight Returns and Killing Joke and Watchmen off the top ten best comic book stories ever and get this on? It would be, though, but I'd say it's low down. Right. Okay. But, yeah. Fair I enough. consider classics to be like your showcase presents. Did, the, I'd say those are your classic ones. Your best of would just be best ofs. You see, I'm on my, my quest to get Dark Knight and Watchmen and Killing Joke oosted off these lists. Well, I'd say if you're going to put them into the list, it would be a best of list and not classics. Right. Because I wouldn't say they are classics. Alright. Yeah. So... Um, I don't think it's... I didn't enjoy it as much as Marvel's. I yeah. would I would put Marvel's on a top ten best graphic novels ever. Mm. As long as it knocks off, like, The Killing Joke or Watchmen or Dark Knight Returns. Yeah. I'm quite happy to do that. <laughs> um, but it clearly shows Ross's evolution as an artist. The difference between this Marvel's and, Marvel's and this. But then there's even more with, uh, to the Miss and Justice. Yeah. Well, he's working primarily... I mean, what's he's currently about to do masks, isn't he, for IDW? Which, not IDW, Dynamite. Which is looking good. Yeah. Yeah. Because IDW... IDW. Dynamite. I keep saying IDW. You know, Dynamite are doing some pretty good stuff at the minute. The Shadow's Finally. great. Yeah. And the Bionic Man's great. Mm. Um, I am tempted to pick up masks... Just to yeah. see what it's like. Oh, that's good. I was going to nag you. Yeah, all right. Fair enough. Well, you don't have to, now. Right, well, that was it for Teen Titans Spotlight On. Teen Titans Spotlight On. Teen Titans Spotlight On was actually a comic. Yeah. <laughs> hey, kids, comic Spotlight On. That's it. Yes. We're over with. Mm-hmm. We're done. You know, we should do another Spotlight On season. Uh, we shouldn't, because we've received absolutely no emails well, we about should, it. But we should do it on writers and artists we don't particularly like. Oh, no, that's too negative for us. Okay. I'm not down with negative. Maybe we should do a negative episode for once. April Fools, we should do a negative I think episode. we may have a negative episode coming up in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Because next week is the season finale. 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 Um, for this season, which is whatever season we are, it's four well, or five or whatever. There'll be nothing at the moment as long as Two True Freaks keeps the website up. Why? Because you have no room. Oh, it's, it's dwindled down again. Has it? Yeah. Okay. So the, there should be other stuff coming. Right. What was I saying? Um, oh yeah, so next, next week yeah. is Green Arrow, The Longbow Hunters, yep. Way, which I'm very excited about because I've been really enjoying it, Okay. in a way that kind of makes you feel a bit icky, Okay. but you'll see that when you read it, because you've never read that before, have you? I've not, I'll have to read it in advance from the size of the three of them. I, I've done something different with it. Go on. I've read them, and then I've done the synopsis and the notes, whereas Told traditionally... 
you no no I've not read issue three yet I've read the issue then synopsis did as opposed to reading it while you synopsis in it. Because okay. I've discovered that sometimes you'll synopsis while you're reading it, and you'll go, oh, that makes sense. And then when you get to the end, it, it actually does make yet. sense. So I've and tried to think You end up writing though. more if you do it whilst you're reading it as well. Yeah, because you end up changing it more mm. as well. So that was it for Spotlight On. I don't know if this was an experiment that succeeded, because the emails dwindled as yeah. we went on. <laughs> so oh, so yeah. we got up to an email that had nothing to do with comics. Yes, yes. Well, we can only read out what we get. Mm-hmm. So the email section is entirely dependent on you, our most lovely listeners. Thank you for listening. Yes. If you did. <laughs> we hope that you did. Mm. We hope you enjoyed it. Next week, Green Arrow Goodness. Yeah. As we cover what I think is one of the most underrated of the post-crisis revamps. Well, is it not unknown? Well, not unknown. It's not unknown, but it's not... It doesn't seem to get the same press that, da- that Year One well, and Man of Steel and the Wonder Woman revamp and the Justice League revamp and all that stuff gets. Green Arrow. Yeah, but that's why it's good. Yeah, I'd say Green Arrow isn't really obscure, but he's more obscure than... He's, he never he's had his own trio. book until after The Longbow Hunters. Did he? he had a miniseries. Right, okay. What but he, he never carried his own book. He was in various Fun different anthology titles like that, yeah. yeah. And then he was the backup strip in Detective Comics when I was a kid. Yeah. When I was younger than you, he was the backup in Detective. Evolution of a character going from fun comics to ramming arrows in people's, in people's eyes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, enough of us. Yes. You must have other things to go and do. Like work. Yeah. Unless work you listen to us at work. Which we heartily endorse. We do. <laughs> listen to us at work. I read comics at work, but... You don't work. Yes, I do work. You work at school. I work at school. Sick work. Actually, no, today I was reading Dolan comics because they're absolutely hilarious. But Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Right, well, well, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Yes. Next week. And then... The week after that. The week after that. Comic book negativeness. No, no. We, I, I, we may as well go into it. I liked right, it, okay. but you didn't. Um, we're going to do another one of our painted... Yeah, now I'm about to buy them all again. back. Shut up. We want to do another one of our painted Let's Look at a Big Crossover. Yeah. And we've chosen Spider-Man Maximum Carnage. Mm-hmm. I'm not looking forward to it that Maximum much. Fun. But Michael is... Yeah. Because you remember really digging on it, don't Unless you? Unless I absolutely hate it this time. You may hate it this time, and I may go at it with fresh eyes and go, actually, it's not that bad. Little ten-year-old me digging it. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Remember what you were like as a ten-year-old yeah. and bring that to it. So next week's Green Arrow, The Longbow Hunters, and the week after that's Maximum Carnage. We probably won't do all 12 issues in one show. Because two episodes? we're not stupid. We may split into two, we may split into three. We've not decided yet. Because we've not decided whether we're, what we're going to do for November 5th or Halloween, mm. if anything. Okay. But we've got the 100th episode coming up very soon now. How long away is that? Um, If you pass me my Spider-Man notebook, I will tell both you and our lovely listeners how far away the 100th episode is. Let me just uh, open up my Spider-Man notebook. Five episodes from now five whole weeks five well one two three four five episodes from now will be the sixth one erring on the 22nd of November mm-hmm. will be our 100th episode mm. and we already have it planned we do don't we oh it's looking fun oh it'll be brilliant it'll be great and then we get to the latter half and then we get to the latter half of the year 
So, we hope you're going to continue to join us. Drop us a line. Facebook us. Yeah. Some people have Facebooked us this week. It'd be nice if you emailed us too. Uh, but it would be nice if you emailed us as well. Otherwise, the email section of the show is going to have to just go away. Yep. Some people wouldn't be upset no. about that. <laughs> Some people would. Yes. So. Right, okay. Uh, we're going to get going now because it's late. So thank you for joining us. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm. Or hear you next week. Or you'll hear us next week. Bye-bye! The Devil Will Make Work for Idle Hands to Do Production, and all opinions expressed in the show by Michael and Andrew are the opinions of Michael and Andrew, and probably not to be taken too seriously. Old episodes of the show can now be found on the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network at www.twotruefreaks.libsen.com. That's T W O T R U E F R E A K S dot Libsen, L I B S Y N dot com. So if you're one of those people who'd be wanting to know where all our old shows are, that's where you'll find them. All music and sound clips used in the show are copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. Michael and Andrew make no money from this, much to their chagrin. New episodes drop every Thursday, currently at aplayland.podomatic.com, but you can also listen through our Facebook page, which you can friend us on by using Hey Kids as the first name and Comics as the surname. You can also listen on our website, where you can also view the covers of the comics that we've covered this week. That's www.heykidscomics.webspace.virginmedia.com. If you have an opinion or opinions, you can email us on heykidscomics at virginmedia.com. We also have a forum, www.forumforgeeks.com, where you can drop by and say hello if you're allergic to email. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Hey Kids Comics.
never thought.